Welcome back to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Um, my name is Kyle Bird. I'm Matt Parmley. My, yeah, look at that. Look at who woke up from uh, a two-month uh, podcast slumber. I am, uh, I'm here for the jiller. So. Yeah. Matt, welcome. You have been sorely missed. Here at the Kaiju Transmission Studio, I am we. I, I am so happy that you're back for this very important discussion. How is it should, uh, be, should be good episode. How was your hiatus? Uh, busy. <laughs> I'm always busy. Indeed, indeed. Um, so this is our Godzilla minus one uh, big ass round table. So I am going to introduce the rest of the folks we have here. Still here, holding up in the Kaiju Transmission Studios, we have Tom from the Final Forum Dragon Ball Podcast. Banzai! <laughs> um, after Halloween, <laughs> he just wouldn't leave. Um, and he, he he's still here. I can't kick him out. Also... Still here and just will not leave um, and refuses to pay any rent is Lux Edwards. Welcome back. Banzai! (laughs) (laughs) Um, And because this is a new Godzilla movie that uh, has, you know, fans having all kinds of uh, 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 just feedback and mayhem here... um, I had to get my old OG podcast brother from another mother, Trevor Snyder, in here. Wait, I'm confused. We're not doing an Asylum movie? <laughs> no, believe it or not. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think I showed up to the wrong podcast. You can hear Trev on the Failure to Franchise podcast, but yes, we need a casual here. To balance out whatever madness is about to spew forth. Well, as I always say, I'm sure I've said this on this podcast before, I'm as casual of a Godzilla fan as someone who's seen every movie can be. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think we've had you on for every new one except... Well, there's a caveat there, because uh, the anime trilogy, you watched the first one, you did the show with us, and then you said, I... I, Yeah, yeah, you tapped out, you said, I ain't even (laughs) watching the next two. (laughs) Yeah. 
wise decision. <laughs> yeah. I, I have not regretted it, that's for sure. <laughs> um, at some point, we also may have uh, another regular, um, Kevin. Uh, he is... Uh, enjoying what I'm uh, assuming is a lovely night out with uh, his his wife, and um, may crash in later. Um, so anyway, a lot of us here, we all have a lot of thoughts. Not 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 much time to to BS around. So thank uh, everyone. Uh, Matt and I are glad to have you, and we are just going to go right into. Um, a little preamble about the recent trailer that dropped yesterday for Godzilla X Kong, the new empire. Um, so that, yeah, that War- trifle and Warner brothers <laughs> said Godzilla is trending right now. Uh, you know, how, what, what, let's drop our, our stuff, remind people, you know, Godzilla can be dumb. And so there's where we get our trailer. We see, uh, I don't know, it's more of a teaser almost. You see some um, some kind of vague imagery of the the Kong Godzilla lore with the Hollow Earth stuff. But the big things we see are uh, um, a baby, I don't know if a baby Kong, a baby ape. And um, you see this big bad, this giant uh, red ape, which uh, from what I understand is named the Scar King for whatever reason. And it looks like he has, uh, uh, you know, is is battling for domain over the Hollow Earth, and Kong has a cyborg arm and teams up with Godzilla, who has just come out of some kind of cocoon, and now he's pink, um, which, oddly enough, has been the biggest thing anyone has talked about is pink Godzilla. I don't know why. Anyway, so, um, I... In uh, the spirit of a, the more roundtable format, I'll just kind of uh, go around see what people thought of this. Uh, Matt, since um, I'm lucky to have you, my my uh, my Kaiju Transmissions brother, back from your hiatus, what were your thoughts on this trailer? Uh, it it looks stupid, but like maybe in the sort of the endearing kind of way where they know what they're making, and I, I feel like. Wingard proved himself with the previous film that the the movie doesn't have to be good to be pretty entertaining, and that's kind of what you know. Like they're they're leaning in full sci-fi fantasy. We're going to the Hollow Earth. Uh, it it looks fine. I mean, like I'm not overly excited for it, but but Pink Godzilla is cool. I, I think it looks neat. Okay. Yeah. It's a trailer. <laughs> it, it is indeed a trailer. Um, <laughs> Tom, where are you at? It looks like more of the same, <clears throat> and that's I, I just yeah okay. I liked Godzilla versus Kong. I've enjoyed the MonsterVerse overall, but yeah, it looks like just more of the same. I'm nothing with regards to that. I'm not excited. I'm not not excited. I'll see it. I'm sure I'll enjoy it. I'm sure it'll slot in somewhere in the middle-ish of my Godzilla movie rankings and. Then my eight-year-old son will want to watch it a bunch, and then I'll probably just really not be super interested in ever watching it again. But it'll be fine, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. Um, Lux, how about you? I'm pretty much in the same boat. It's just, it's trailer. Um, I mean, I enjoy the MonsterVerse stuff for the most part. It's nothing amazing, and I don't, I don't hate, hate, like, anything in it. 
Um, but yeah, I, I'm not saying I'm excited for it, but I'm going to show up for a big monkey. Oh, yeah. Um, I think, I mean, I, I'm probably so far along Tom's line of thought where it's like, you know, I, I don't know. It's hard to get excited when you just feel like they're just going to keep making these things. <laughs> um, but I don't know. For my, I, I look at it more as, um, I don't know. I'm going in more as like a Kong fan almost just because like, I feel like this hasn't necessarily, I feel like Godzilla was slapped into this late in the game and Kong is just kind of, um, the focus here. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's some stuff that kind of felt weird to me, like the shot of them running at the end. It just seemed to me like an obvious attempt to like have a crazy shot that'll go viral or, you know, the team up shot that, you know, all the Avengers movies have done over and over again. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Been there. I don't know. Um, so uh, I'm going to give it to Trev, who is uh, not only our casual, but also, as far as I'm concerned, the original Adam Wingard fan. Um, what do you think of this trailer? I mean, I definitely enjoyed it more than the rest of you, it sounds like. I mean, I agree it looks dumb. I think, to me, it almost like certainly looks like fun dumb. And you have to remember, like you said, I've been on the other like new movie reviews Godzilla versus Kong was like the first monster versus movie I kind of unabashedly enjoyed. And it was because I was like, Oh, this is the first one where I can just completely turn my brain off. And I thought they made like a really good, bad movie, you know? And I think that's the thing with this one. I mean, I've seen, I've seen a lot of people complaining about this one, in, especially in regards to it coming out at the same time as Godzilla minus one. And so like feeling like it's an ultimate detriment. I actually think it was really smart to drop it right now. I mean, look for me, the trailer dropped the same day. I wouldn't saw minus one. So I saw minus one, and about two hours later, I watched this trailer and I thought this is like the best thing about this trailer and this monster verse right now is that it is such a juxtaposition between this and what Toho and is doing at the moment. And like when I hear people like Tom complain about how there's just so much Godzilla product, I kind of get it. But at the same time, it's not like it's even close to how many comic book movies are coming out. And the one thing about comic book movies that's really killing them is they they like 95 percent of the time do all feel the same. And I think like the fact that this looks so, so polar opposite to what Minus One was doing is the exciting thing. And I saw someone else say this, and so I'm not going to take credit for it. But the fact that Godzilla is kind of the only character in pop culture to that degree also that can have a movie out or two movies out in, like, in the span of a few months where one was just a pure villain, one was a pure hero, and we just accept it. Like That's what I think is cool about the, like, the franchise in general. So I think, um, I, I think it's neat that this is coming out in the wake of a movie like Minus One. So, yeah, I'm excited for it. And people who are like being grumpy about it, man, just enjoy it. It's not, it, like, like that is the, that's one element of the truth to what Tom said. There's so much Godzilla stuff. It's just going to be another one. And there's going to be more after this. This is not going to ruin the franchise or anything. Right. It's just going to be another fun kind of dumb you know monster movie and i say we should uh just prepare ourselves to maybe enjoy it now if it's terrible i'll say it you know because i <laughs> there's other monster movies i didn't like but i'm yeah. hoping this one is as fun as godzilla vs kong was um i'm def i mean i'm definitely i'll i'll echo that like last bit like like there's nothing about this that and i don't even know if it's possible anymore with how much godzilla stuff we've had over the past 10 years and certainly since the 1998 movie, which, you know, is a whole like, um, sore spot for probably about any fan our age, but really there's been such 
a variety of stuff since then. And, you know, we've had Godzilla take it since then as an iguana, as uh, a pile of gloop, uh, as like a giant plant monster, as, um, you know, a mutated dinosaur, as, right? We've had all these different takes, like vastly different takes. He's been an extra dimensional being bringing the, 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 like, there's so many different takes. There's nothing about a Godzilla with pink spines <laughs> running around in a crystal cave with Kong with a robot arm that like ruins Godzilla for me at all. I'm... I just, and, and I do, I do agree. Like the, the only, I'll, I'll say almost like just cause I'm so much more keyed in on Godzilla than Travis. The only reason I'm not like so horribly burnt out that I'm just going to like, that I would like skip or completely jump off board of Godzilla is like, they're so wildly different. Mm-hmm. The, the, what Toho pretty much since 2016 versus what legendary is doing are so vastly different that it's the reason I keep getting suckered back in. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, yeah, the, the, uh, as far as the movie itself goes, I just, uh, I just wonder I don't know. It, it, it just from what little we see in the trailer, I'm just wondering. I mean, because there's a fine line between like, okay, this is just a campy, dumb kind of movie, and being too self-aware. That's where I'm more in, interested to see where it goes. But um, I don't know. I mean, I swear to God, when I watched that trailer, I did not think the biggest controversy about it was that Godzilla was going to be pink. I didn't. I. I and then like I started seeing like tweets and stuff like oh it's woke and I was like oh haha they're they're joking right 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 <laughs> yeah. and then for some reason it's actually upsetting to people and that is just silly Godzilla's spines have been green or you know, blue the purple uh, why not pink what like people legitimately are like I don't know I think there's some kind of "Quote unquote woke agenda behind it that I don't understand. I sw- I thought it was just people joking at first, but then like as the day went on, I was starting to see like long screeds about it that like these manifestos. <laughs> um, and like you and like you said earlier, it it really feels like this was supposed to be a Kong movie to yeah. begin with, and the trailer still looks like it's primarily a Kong based story. Yeah, from what just I happens to have Godzilla yeah, from from what I understand, I mean. Um, this movie was kind of already in the scripting process when, I mean, they, they, they were writing this before Toho had even re-upped their agreement. So, uh, you know, the, the, the dots kind of definitely connect to this being it's, kind it's of It's funny then that like, that's the, if that's the case that all the stuff people are talking about is the Godzilla stuff. Oh right. God, yeah. It, oh my God, he's pink. Yeah. And I mean, so much yeah. of the trailer is Kong, <laughs> Kong stuff. Yeah. I, it, I was watching the trailer really excited for all the Kong stuff and like Godzilla was kind of an afterthought. Yeah. For me. It's like, okay, well, pink Godzilla, that's okay, I guess. Yeah. Cause, cause and then I get online and everyone's just talking about pink Godzilla. It's like, but the trailer, cause, cause <laughs> you might remember like shortly after Godzilla versus Kong, came out the trades were saying like there's going to be a sequel that's the work a working title is son of kong and we see the baby kong in the trailer and everything and what from just from what i know from you know fairly reliable people is that um because that that probably came around like august or something of 2021 as of like november of 2021 legendary still did not know if they were going to have godzilla again so 
I mean, I don't know. You connect the dots, and I can definitely see this as being like, okay, it was a Kong movie, and then we're going to add a whole other you know, B-plot about whatever Godzilla's doing and maybe another monster in there, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I'm... I, it's I, funny, because if they were doing this more right, <laughs> I'd, I would... I'd be actually kind of down for, like, you know, Kong, and then show us Godzilla for, like, a couple minutes, and then, like, a Godzilla and show us Kong for a couple minutes, and then a Godzilla and Kong, you know? Um, <clears throat> if you were doing an actual cinematic universe and not just making a whole bunch of movies yeah well like they are we'll see <laughs> and i mean did. i mean wasn't that the early i mean they already did like godzilla movies and a kong movie and then teamed them up so yeah yeah it's just like the this is like their age of ultron so here we are finally takashi yamazaki's godzilla minus one um, if you've been listening to us for the last couple episodes, we've been kind of working through some of Yamazaki's sci-fi films in preparation for this. But just a crash course, um, this is a director uh, cut his teeth on a movie it's like uh, Returner, which Sony put out here, um, but then really kind of made hit after hit after hit. Um, the guy is like one of Japan's most successful filmmakers. Um, his war movie, Eternal Zero, was huge. His Always trilogy, which is excellent, um, uh, was big. And um, Space Battleship Yamato, I mean, just constant hits. Um, and uh, he is always kind of hinted at wanting to make a Godzilla movie. He had that little Godzilla cameo in Always 2. And he directed like the Godzilla ride the sequence for Godzilla, the ride and just little things here and there. And even on this podcast, we've been saying over the last years, like, man, just give this, let, let, let the man get this out of his system. Let him, let this man make a Godzilla movie. And so here we are. Um, and after much speculation, we are at, um, Godzilla minus one here. Um, so, uh, yeah, in the spirit of just keeping this train moving, um, I will give a very brief synopsis, um, preface this this is a spoiler discussion um and uh we are definitely once we get into the later um parts of the show and we start talking about things like the ending and so forth spoilers are going to get heavier and heavier and heavier so um godzilla minus one is another reboot this time going back to the final days of world war ii um, and we follow our protagonist, Koichi, who uh, had signed up in the war to be a kamikaze pilot. Um, he, uh, he fled his duty, um, and uh, he went to Odo Island, which Godzilla fans know is where Godzilla uh, originates in the, in the 54 film. And he um, is there with all the mechanics that are looking at his plane because it's a kamikaze plane repair base and they suspiciously find nothing wrong with his plane. And then a giant dinosaur comes and wreaks havoc, basically wipes out all the mechanics except for one. And this guy that, um, had already kind of been not feeling great about, you know, his, uh, uh, lack of courage, to carry out his duty as a kamikaze, that his just survivor's guilt is compounded. He goes back home to Tokyo, which is now just in rubble due to the fire bombings, and you know his parents are dead, uh, who told him to come back alive, and he came back alive. They're not there, and then everyone else is yelling at him and calling him a failure for escaping uh, his kamikaze duty. Um, 
and he uh, he he kind of makes acquaintance with this uh, woman who ha- is carrying a baby um, because the baby's parents were dying and basically gave it to her, and her parents also died. Um, and they kind of have a little found family situation going on. Um, all the while, Koichi has taken up a job uh, in trying to collect these mines across the ocean, American and Japanese mines. And so that's where he has his, uh, his crew of new friends. You got Doc, Kid, and the Captain. And um, uh, Koichi's a gunner, so he can uh, shoot and blow up these mines easily. Um, and then, uh, you know... Japan's rebuilding itself after the war. Uh, things are looking great. And then um, the Americans uh, drop an H-bomb during their tests. Uh, I believe this, was, this specific one is Operation Crossroads, which was in the late 40s. That mutates this dinosaur. It's Godzilla, of course. He comes up. He is not having any of it. Uh, Godzilla is mean, he's pissed off, um, and uh, from there we just kind of try and and see how this guy who, you know, he keeps surviving these situations and he's all mentally screwed up and he's got the survivor's guilt, PTSD, um, and, you know, just how is he going to find peace with himself how is he going to um, redeem himself for surviving all these situations that he doesn't understand why he survived and all these other people are dying? Um, and uh, from there, you know, Godzilla does his thing and they have to come up with a plan to stop him. And um, that's when you get into the big plan to stop Godzilla and that that's the movie. Um, so I will stop blabbing in our uh, summary here and um, I'm just going to go through uh, each of you and just ask for, um, you know, your initial thoughts and takeaways, um, you know, your light favorites, least favorites, and then we'll start getting into more spoiler territory. Um, So, um, uh, Trev, I'm going to get to you last, and I'll explain why when I get to you, but I'm just going to go around the table. Okay, well, Lux, I'll let you go. (laughs) Um, Starting off as Tom was probably going to start off. I, I really, really loved this movie. Um, uh, everything I like about it was just all of the character work. And that's what's Yamazaki's best at is character work. Uh, the drama is the center point of the movie. It's what the movie's about at the end of the day when you're watching Yamazaki. Um, yes, he does specialize in doing these movies that have big special effects in them and are in sci-fi fantasy realm, but they're always grounded in a very character-based, uh, strong drama plot. And that's where this movie shines. Uh, the reason this movie is so good is because you really, really care about the characters. And, uh, that's, that's the main thing that I want to highlight just to, uh, kick things off here. Okay. Um, well, I guess I'll go next because I'm trying to save Trev for last because he's the wild card, but um, these technical difficulties are preventing me from doing that. Um, So I'll go next. Um, So, uh, I mean, I definitely have um, some some things here and there about the movie that, um, you know, I, I don't know, bring it down a little bit, but overall... I felt really good about it. Um, it's and I'm not one where Godzilla has to be super serious or have you know all this you know 
oh, I, I want it like this. I want a grim, dark Godzilla, like, uh, whatever. For me, it's just, um, it, it, it felt refreshing to finally have a Godzilla movie that really was truly character-based. I mean, 2014, Shin Godzilla, we spend a lot of time with humans, but, like, there's really no no story arcs for them or really any anything that we we don't know really anything about these characters aside from their jobs and we finally got back to that and it's something that we we haven't gotten a lot of since this franchise came back in 2014 um and then uh you know just tonally it it felt kind of like you know if you remember that Comic-Con uh, mood piece teaser or whatever this almost felt like the movie that that was advertising in a way um so uh so it was just nice to really kind of get a more grounded you know and character driven godzilla movie now now are there things about the script and things about some of the the way some of the characters are handled that you know we can nitpick and talk about and 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 stuff and there are and and we will get there um but overall initial thoughts um just feeling really positive and um Godzilla him I love the portrayal of Godzilla himself cuz he's just r- a relentless asshole like it's up there with the 54 Godzilla and the Godzilla vs Mothra Godzilla and the GMK Godzilla is just like this is Godzilla that just it, he's just mad because he's mad <laughs> and there there we can talk a little bit more about Godzilla himself in a minute um all right, uh, Matt, are you there? Yeah, I really, uh, I'm sure to the shock of no one, actually really liked this movie. And it was very intense, like significantly more intense than I was thinking it would be, kind of just from start to finish. I mean, the Yamazaki uh, is known for his melodrama, so to speak. But the, the characters... Um, could be a bit over the top at times, but I do think yes. there was some very good storytelling. <laughs> yeah. And this Godzilla, I I hated him, but like that's what makes it so good is because he is, I mean, he is a total jerk. He is just stomping on everything and destroying anything that looks at him the wrong way. Um, and it was just like it was it was a really, I mean, fun movie. I saw it twice. I watched it with uh, the fam, and Landon seemed to enjoy it. My family seemed to like it. I will say too. I think this movie is fairly accessible for non Godzilla fans in a way. Like, I I think we're seeing that like in yeah, real time like the, play out. The word of mouth on this is not what you would expect. <laughs> yeah, and I think because it's getting such overall good reviews and, and word of mouth, like that's that's kind of a cool thing to see. But it's it's a really I mean well made movie. I have some gripes which we'll talk about later, but I'm very positive overall. All right. Well, while Tom is repairing his internet or something, uh, my plan... I think it's better. Oh, my God. What an amazing... Your timing is impeccable. Um, So, yes. uh, Initial thoughts. What are they? I really liked it. A lot. Um, Even just on that initial viewing where I'm always... I don't know. I always... Every movie I walk away from... Unless I like super duper love it, you know, like five out of five or super duper hate it, like one out of five. I always am kind of like, hmm, did I, what bothered me? What didn't you write? But I still really liked it. I knew that right off the bat. 
but it is a movie that's it's just got some give and take. There's some things that even just at first blush, I was like, eh. uh, and then there was just a lot to like. It was kind of like I I've said before, and I, I think I'll, I'll probably say it maybe more than once throughout this. It was like a meal. You know, the a lot of the Godzilla stuff we've been getting lately to me has been like a snack off the shelf or a can of soda or something. It's dependable. It's of a consistent quality. It can get the job done in a pinch, but there's like no, there's nothing else to it. And <clears throat> this to me had a lot going on to where even if I didn't like maybe all the side dishes to this meal, there was a lot to chew on a lot to process a lot to to go along with it whether it's the character work or even the pacing i thought the directing was really good um and and yeah i just uh i i really really enjoyed it and i haven't had a chance to see it a second time yet i'm gonna try but i'm really looking forward to seeing it a second time i think it um it bears repeat viewings, actually. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to pass it to Trev. The reason why I say film... Kevin's here, too. Oh! Yeah. Well, oh, my God. Look at this. Everyone's timing is just amazing. I love that we're, like, adding the suspense to Trev. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Kevin, welcome. I, you know, the people at home know to expect you. Um, you actually gave us a little bit of, we're, we're just talking about our, our basic initial bare bones thoughts coming out of the movie. Um, uh, I think the last episode you, you had actually just gotten back from Japan and you'd actually seen the movie in Japan and, uh, you were, you know, you're fortunate enough to have, uh, uh, your lovely wife, Amanda, who is fluent in Japanese with her. Um, and I know that you, uh, have seen it since here in America with, uh, actual, you know, the proper subtitles. I know you felt pretty good about it, um, when you saw it in Japan, but, um, you know, seeing it with, you know, the full translated subtitles in front of you, um, revisiting the movie, I mean, just overall, what are your uh, initial takeaways? Uh, I mean, my impression is that it's a, it's a solid vanilla, if that makes sense. So it's, it's not going for kind of the wild and crazy that we've gotten from some of the other stuff in the Reiwa era, uh, but it's, it's kind of back to basics, but it's doing it quite well. Uh, so it's not breaking new ground necessarily, but the execution of what's there is is all uh, you know really well handled. So that's kind of my my general impression. Like there's a whole lot that you've seen before, but uh, the way that it's uh, remixed is uh, it's all good. So mm. that, that's kind of my ten thousand foot view of it. I would agree with that. All right. So as I was uh, saying. Trev does this thing that it drives me crazy, but I also like it because it's kind of fun, where if he's going to do a podcast about a movie, he like he will not tell you what he thinks of it until he is on the podcast. The only Godzilla movie, like I think like King of the Monsters, Shin Godzilla, I'd known because we saw them together, but this happened with Godzilla vs. Kong, too. I was like, what'd you think? He's like, I'm not saying a word. So um, I'm going to... Release the pressure valve. Trev, initial thoughts on Godzilla Minus One coming out of it. Where are you? 
I mean, I, I now I wish I could say I hated it to make this conversation more interesting. <laughs> but, but no, I mean, you guys were saying like that this is like a movie that speaks to every kind of Godzilla fan, and I absolutely love this. And you know how like iffy I've been on the overall mm-hmm. franchise for a while. So yeah, I mean, I I've seen people saying is this the best Godzilla movie? Uh, let's not get that. too crazy, like, right? Yeah, and like look, I think I've said this before. Like whenever I whenever I we even have that discussion, I always just consider the original on its own level. So you're only talking about everything after that. Um, is this the best one of those? No, but is it maybe the best Godzilla as villain movie for me? Yeah. Is it probably in my top five Godzilla movies? Yeah, I think pretty easily, actually. I, I really like this a lot. Mm-hmm. I, uh, for, and for all the reasons you guys were saying, I think Bird knows that one of my long-standing complaints uh, over on kaiju movies in general is how the human characters are often an afterthought or they try to develop them, but they're just kind of silly and feel poorly written. Yeah. And I know that sounds ridiculous from someone who earlier in this podcast said he loves Godzilla versus Kong. Yeah, you're like looking forward to that more than any of us. And you're like, oh, I'm a character but, guy. <laughs> but whatever. Like, you know, like I said, I like those because they're dumb. Yeah, but yeah. like when oftentimes I've seen kaiju movies try to get into character stuff and kind of fall on its face or just, you know, forget about the characters. And to see a character study that uses Godzilla as a backdrop, I thought was a really, really smart move. And, you know, I kind of went into this, I, I, you know, obviously the, the hype had me thinking I probably would like it. But I definitely was in that camp of being like, oh, man, is this just kind of like a remake of the original? Is that really what I want? Not really. You know, I don't really need another reboot or whatever. But I thought this just figured this found such a clever way to do it in terms of making it about the people and making you really care about the people. There's some moments in this where things happen to characters that really like shocked me in the theater. And I did not like seeing that those things happen. Now, did they undercut that later? Yes. And we'll talk about that. But um, <laughs> in general, no, I like everything you guys said, the only, the only slight disagreement I'll have, and this is very, very slight, but I'm actually kind of surprised to hear some of you say that you like hated Godzilla in this and found him to be such a jerk because even though he is the villain, and I thought he worked well that way. I still did just look at him as like an animal that was just yeah. doing what an animal would do when he yeah. was just being territorial. And there were still moments in the movie where when they're like shooting him and trying to kill him, I was kind of like, Oh, he can't help it. Come on. Like, but still he worked, it worked for the purpose of the movie. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I know we're going to get into more specific things, but no, this, this to me was honestly one of my favorite movies of the year. Yeah, it's, no, I, it, this, this Godzilla, cause I didn't mention the Godzilla. I didn't hear anyone's take other than Matt's, uh, unfortunately, but <clears throat> to me, this Godzilla, is very, very similar to the Godzilla of the 1964 Mothra vs. Godzilla movie, where he is, in that movie, he, like, wakes up, he comes out of the ground from being swept in by a a tsunami or a, a, a typhoon or whatever, and he's, like, walking around Tokyo, a building falls on him, he takes it like an attack, he attacks the building, he's, like, going after the egg at one point until something distracts him, and then he just kind of, like, forgets that the egg exists. He's just, like, like an animal on the loose, like, mm-hmm. that just, like, when like when you see, like, bears or elephants, like, from the zoo, like, just maraud through a town, and it's just, you never know what thing is going to catch their eye, that's... That that's this Godzilla too. He's like he is... cocaine bear, but the atomic bomb is cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give legendary any more ideas, okay? <laughs> I think we're. I think we all feel the same. To be honest, I, I think we all understand that this is just a very animalistic version of Godzilla, like Tom said. But we, the reason we hate him so much is because of what he's causing for yep. the characters. 
uh, and and we're feeling the same things of as the characters in the movie. So well, and he's still being he's still being used as a symbol of he's, a, he's essentially symbolic of still like man's hubris, right? And like the, right. the problems that men cause and by with by weaponry and war. So yeah, as a stand-in for that, he still works as a symbol. Exactly, yeah, and and this is just. I, I think I said somewhere, like, I think in my letterbox review, which is 9,000 pages long, uh, like one of the biggest compliments I can give, I, I kind of like Trev, where he, like I really cared about these characters. I didn't really even need Godzilla to show up. I just wanted to see these people like try and build a life in the ruins of post-war Japan. <laughs> yeah, this is like the prequel to the Always trilogy for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, it's interesting. It's it's kind of one of those things where I think, I think most of us have just kind of what we were saying in the Godzilla versus Kong when we were talking about the trailer. Like we've kind of just come to be like, yeah, of course, if there's another one, because there's another one, of course there is. And so when when you start to have that kind of a when your reaction to a new Godzilla movie is that sort of like numb, um. You don't really know, and then I mean, like for guys like us that are more are more in tuned with, you know, okay, what are the fans saying? I mean, the, the, everything that comes out, the fans say it's a masterpiece, the best is the blah blah blah, and um, and then even like in the mainstream, I mean, I, I think all of us, except for Kevin, <laughs> um, are kind of in a little bit of a minority in how we uh, reacted to Shin Godzilla. Like, that was a big critical thing. A lot of the fans seemed to like it. But so it, it's really kind of like, even to the day, I was kind of going in with a grain, uh, like taking it with a grain of salt. What really started to make me feel better about it was, re- was watching like so many of this director's movies, and so many of them have so much heart to them and so much. Um, you know, so much, you know, really trying to get you in the shoes of their their characters. And so I felt like we were in pretty good hands. And then when I saw this, I was like, you know what, like, this is just the Godzilla movie we kind of just needed. Um, and of course, like, like, there's six of us on here right now. This is the most, like, I'm sure when we... St- start to break it down there'll be a little disagreement here a little disagreement there but this is easily the most united <laughs> we've been on this podcast especially with this many people um well, such a diverse taste in what we all like in godzilla movies too yeah well yeah you know? and, and honestly and the people i follow online the only like criticisms of i've seen this movie so far and i'm you know other from obvious apart from obvious trolls but the only like legit criticisms i've seen have kind of been well, I let the hype get to me too much. And so it just, I thought it was going to be the best movie I ever saw, but it was only like really good. You know what I mean? Like that's what's, that's what's kind of getting at people. Yeah. In, in Godzilla fan circles, it's mostly been very well received. Um, uh, what kind of what, but I, I think the biggest, there's two, two of the bigger criticisms I've heard is, um, like Kevin put it really well when he said, this is like, it's a lot of, this is kind of taking pieces from a lot of different Godzilla movies and what Godzilla can do and certain action sequences and kind of remixing them. So I I have seen people like, well, it's it's not really like showing us anything super new. And then the other one is, is a general complaint that I think runs through a lot of this Yamazaki's work is, um, you know, there are times where the, the drama leans very heavily into melodrama. Um, but, None of this is really 
for me something that is really going to hold it back a yeah, lot. Can I, you know, can I just say and, and like give my perspective on that in terms of the the complaint about it being too similar or being built of old pieces? I mean, don't you do some of you agree that it gets to a certain point in a franchise or a genre where when it's become you know so crazy and so many other things have happened, you got to reset the baseline at a certain point. Yeah, you know, after you send Jason to space, you kind of need a remake where you just put him back in the camp. You know, every once in a while. We gotta like we gotta reset the pieces, and I think that's what this does really, really well. That's what I mean. Like, I'm I'm of that camp where I don't really care that the MonsterVerse movies are so dumb and like whatever. I'm having fun with them, but then that's what was shocking about this movie is to be like, oh yeah, that's right. If you just take your time and make like an actual movie, it reminds <laughs> you what this search honor can actually do. Yeah, and and this is probably I mean, as much as I love you, know, I mean, the '54 movie is the king of Godzilla movies. It always will be. Um, but you know, that is very, I mean, there, there's messages and things and baked in the, into the subtext and backdrop of this movie, but, um, even Godzilla 54 is, you know, the characters are great, classic, um, great story and everything, but it's still kind of an ensemble piece. The interesting thing here was we have this protagonist that has all kind. he's damaged goods, he's all kinds of messed up from top to bottom, and it's kind of, it is a character study of this guy, and like pretty much the entire movie is from his perspective. Um, and we really haven't seen a Godzilla movie that is a story about a person. We've had Godzilla movies that are about people, but this is about a person and how and he's every, overcoming all this. Every character, even in the, the, you know, really well done character driven movies like your 54s and some of the other ones. The characters are always <clears throat> serving some sort of like metaphorical or allegorical purpose. Like the 54 is, is a, is a pretty good example, but even like <clears throat> my favorite, and I already mentioned it, the Mothra versus Godzilla, the people are all stand-ins for like the bad guys are stand-ins for be greedy business culture and the heroes are standing for, you know, we need to reconnect with nature. <clears throat> Koichi's not really a, a stand in for anything. He's, he's simultaneously the character that the movie is breaking down and doing a character study on and a little bit of the audience cipher. He, which is where I think the, the, the actor has a really tough task and where I think some of the complaints of him have kind of, come from he has to kind of be accessible to everyone he has to be a bit of an everyman while the movie is also doing a very detailed character study on him and so i think his performance can come off a little bit uh one note or bland as the way i've heard it a few times i kind of agree but i think it's a like tightrope that they're trying to balance. You guys want to feel old? I don't know if I, I feel like some of us know this. Tre, I don't know if Trev knows this though. You want to feel I old? Was, I, I wonder if you're about to say what I was going to come on here. And I, I couldn't wait to tell you because yeah, you, knew it. you know the that the that main actor is the little kid from the Great Yokai War. <laughs> is that what oh, you're gonna? No, no. I is that the only one you know? <laughs> Did you look at his entire filmography? The he same from actor. Great Yokai War, but yeah, do you know what else he's in, Bird? I couldn't wait to tell you this. Oh, jeez. He's the little boy. He's the little boy in the Bird family in Survive Style Five. Oh man! I, I was going to say he's, dad he's the baby over. that gets dropped in Big Man Japan. Oh, that's right. They like drop him off at like a big boy or something. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. So yeah, that that'll that'll make a 
If that doesn't make you feel old, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what is. Survive Style Five is excellent, by the way. Kevin, I'm assuming you've seen it. Oh yeah, yeah, you've seen everything. Yeah, um, yeah no, I, that someone needs to get that out here. It's amazing. Um, so yeah, while while we're talking about the characters, um, so um, uh, this is the supporting cast. Really, I also thought lit this movie up. Um, um, the uh, Doc and the Captain, I really loved. Um, little girl, Akiko, is adorable. I mean, I kind of just liked everybody. Yeah. <laughs> How did you feel about the characters? And you know, like, I just, I'm, I'm, you know, do you have any favorites? Any uh, side characters that stood out to you more than others? So on and so forth. I mean, the Captain is the, is the best. Clearly, he's he's a lot of fun. Um, I honestly, I I found things to like about pretty much every character. There's nobody here that felt uh, insufferable or like they didn't belong. I know some people have some issues with like the kid character, but they—that's more thematically. They, yeah, for me anyway. they, they're. But I feel like for this group of characters, they all have a place in the story. They don't overstay their welcome. Um, yeah, I, I liked. I mean, I, I liked all their different relationships. And, and how they, they played off of each other. Yeah, I mean, I'll echo most of that. I think my favorite was, oh, I, w- I wish I'd, I wish I'd, like, knew these characters, uh, not characters, but these actors' names better. Um, but uh, Hidetaka Yoshioka. Yes. I was saying that right. Uh, Noda. Always. Yeah. Noda's um, awesome, yeah. That guy has a great just very unique screen presence and a very unique charisma to him that I really like. And I like seeing that guy on screen. And so, uh, that's a fa- That's a standout character. And, you know, like Matt, I mean, I'm having internet difficulties here. So I, Matt kind of clicked in and out on me a bit, but I'll, I'll echo what I thought I heard from him, which was, um, that Akiko is like the most adorable. I said that, kid. but yes, she absolutely okay. is. <laughs> Um, it, it just, you know, that the moments with her where she's, you know, trying to get, uh, Koichi to, to love her basically are, are like heartrending, you know, cause she is the cutest little kid and, and she is, she's just like a very like real portrayal of like a cute little, like introverted little child. And um, him not to just like be like, oh yeah, okay, it's you know, I love you too, and him to constantly be like, I don't really care about you. You're not my. It like it, <laughs> it it gets to you, and I think that's the power of this movie is in its characters, and yeah, not just its main, who I think is very interesting, but I think all those surrounding characters are so well portrayed and so likable and. That's what draws you in. And, um, yeah, I think that almost, I don't, I don't want to step on anything else here, but that kind of brings us into like one of the big kind of problems with the movie <laughs> with, with Noriko, who I really, really liked as a character. I thought the actress is giving a hell of a performance, but then the way she's handled is a little, well, you and Trev and I've implied it. So we're going to table the Noriko, just the Noriko issue for, 
We're going to table that for now because that's a whole other thing to kind of get into. <laughs> um, so, Kevin, I have only heard your initial thoughts between now and when you first saw this when you were in Japan. So um, I'm curious to see uh, if you, um, how you actually felt about, you know, the characters, the story of, you know, are, any characters and any character moments that stood out to you, any favorites that you have. Yeah, I mean the the characters I think are all great. It's a, a it's a, just a fantastic cast, and um, I mean one of the one of the things is just from watching as much stuff as I do, uh, I, just about every actor in this I've seen in something else, and it's always something where they're playing something completely different from, you know, like the the lead female in this versus when she was in Shin Kamen Rider, like what a turnaround, or um, you know the. Um, the the captain of the of the ship um, is he's on a, a series in on Hulu right now, my home hero, where he plays like you know a kind of sniveling salary man, and it's just like very different mm. takes from uh, from what I kind of mentally associate uh, all of them with, um, you know, with the exception of Rinosuke Kamiki because he's in so many different things, I kind of associate him with with a whole lot. But I mean, he was. He gave a better dramatic turn than I've seen him in, in, in a lot of things. So, I mean, that's um, pretty impressive there. So, I mean, really, I think that uh, it's it's really solid acting, and you can really get a sense of what good performers a lot of these people are when, you know, maybe you've, you know, if, you, if you've only seen somebody in, like, Roroni Kenshin or, like, Go Kaiger or something like that, and, like, they, they are almost unrecognizable uh in these roles here uh it's it says that yamazaki picked really strong performers to work with because he was able to kind of draw something very different out of them and uh in terms of like not relying on um typecasting i I think really it was it was hidetaka yoshioka that's kind of the closest to what you've seen before with like his role in always and it was still very different here as a scientist versus the kind of a a schlubby uh, science fiction writer. It's funny you mention, um, you know, your you, actors, you know, playing different types of characters and seeing them in different things. But you mentioned him, his uh, character in Always. If anyone out there hasn't seen them, see them. They're excellent. But um, the the funny thing that um, I think it was Tom that first brought this to my attention was there's a. His character in Always is kind of has this child forced onto him, and he doesn't want to adopt this 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 boy, and he ends up doing it and, you know, learning to love this kid. And um, there's a scene where, you know, they're like, well, what are, what are you going to, like, you know, are you going to adopt this kid or what? And he's the one, as Noda, that's like, how dare you? Like, why would you not want this adorable child? Like, <laughs> That did feel like an in-joke just because of the character. Yeah. Um, so, Lux, yeah, let's tell us... Um, Tell us, uh, you know, characters the, and character moments that maybe felt like highlights for you. Like I said, when we kicked off, uh, the characters are the highlight of the whole movie for me. And That's true. Uh, yeah. to, to basically say what, what Matt said, I, I, I think they're all fantastic characters and they all, uh, they all fit into their specific role in the film and serve that role perfectly. Um, so I, there's none of them that I don't really uh, like I, I like all of them. Um, a couple of them uh, may not be the best in their service to the story, um, and we get to that later with you know, like we've mentioned, the kid. Um, 
and with Noriko, maybe a little bit. Um, but as far as highlights, uh, again, got to keep on talking about Hidetaka Yoshioka. Uh, I, I love him in the Always trilogy, and, and I love him here as Doc, uh, and especially him paired up with uh, Kuranosuke, uh, uh, Kuranosuke, or I don't, yeah. Kuranosuke, Kuranosuke Sasaki. I don't know how to say it. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> the, the, right. the guy who plays the captain. <laughs> um, the way that they are paired up in this movie and kind of play off of each other, because the kid is kind of off to the side. The doc and the captain have very kind of like similar uh, pairing as uh, Suzuki and uh, Chigawa in Always. Um, where one is the very like serious straight man with a little bit of a temper and not afraid to say how it is, and the other one is a, a kind of eccentric and, and weird and a little more on the intelligent side. Uh, and uh, I, I just really like some of their moments where they got to play off of each other, especially like uh, just those little like side scenes, like dinner table scenes that we mentioned. Um, uh, really entertaining characters. Um, I, I'm not going to come down as hard on our our protagonist Koichi as a lot of us seem to. Uh, I actually quite like his performance in this movie and think it's very good. Um, and he really sold it for me. And we could talk more about that later. But uh, yeah, everything. I like all the characters. Okay, uh, Trev, you're Mister uh, Character Guy. So yeah, where are you? There? I mean, you, we, you all keep mentioning how adorable Kiko is. Can we at least all agree she's a terrible artist? <laughs> oh, come on, man! <laughs> uh, so no, I'm, mad, I'm gonna like, you know, take from 2000, <laughs> 2001. Hopefully, hopefully we'll start uh, having more disagreements here because I don't want to sound like the, the broken record guy coming in last always. But yeah, I'm just gonna echo a lot of what everyone said. That I think uh, almost all these characters are great. Um, I'm gonna I'm with Matt in that my favorite was the captain. Uh, I'm not going to try and pronounce the actor's name after just hearing the struggle luck said with it. I know it might be even worse, but yeah, there's just something about that actor. He's just got that that kind of face and delivery that he's just instantly compelling. I don't know. He's like just that great character actor persona, you know. And I thought I thought he was great. The kid, on the the other the member of the crew, he might be my least favorite character. That's nothing against the actor. I just think that's a character type that I'm usually kind of bored with, like the overeager kid who wishes he could, you know, he wants to. You know, help so badly. I, I just found him to be that character act to be like a little boring and a little obvious, but the performance was still fine. Um, I'm also I also agree with Lux. I thought the lead performance was really really good. It's it's hard. I think if anyone's saying it's not good, or if Tom is like a little less impressed, that I get it because it's very hard to do those kind of internalized traumatic performances, right? And that's so it can come across as flat, but that's because it almost has to. But I think he's doing it in a way that's still you can really see like the the you know the perceived his own self-perceived cowardice and his regret and trauma in his eyes so i, I thought that was a really strong performance so yeah i mean I, I liked i liked all these characters as well i thought that's the thing is it's a character study of one main character but the entire ensemble is what makes this thing sing because you care about all of them and i said with like nariko i know we all keep alluding to like the end but i mean i love nariko so much that when the first part of her fate happens it like got i, I did not like it. it like hit me in the theater you know i was like upset about it um and i liked her so much it also made me even more frustrated with the lead because i wanted to lead, like jump into the movie and slap him for not just <laughs> instantly getting with her <laughs> but but yeah no i, I loved all these characters um yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with with you guys. Yeah, I'm I'm with uh, you know, kind of on the side of you know. I really thought the main performance. I, I thought it was fine. I mean, the, this is 
for a Godzilla movie especially, this is a lot to ask <laughs> of any actor. Um, and yeah, I didn't have an issue with his performance. I think I think some of the performances can get a little over the top, a little overly dramatic, but that that's very much just Yamazaki's style of directing actors and stuff. I kind of appreciate that too, though. Like, it's a very, very heavy movie, obviously. You know, it's, it's much more dramatic than we've seen from this series in a long time. And I thought it was nice to have some characters like Noda who are like a little silly to just kind of allow, you know, moments of levity and, and to break that just a little bit. And there's a couple, there's actually a couple good jokes in the movie too. I think, I, I don't know, I don't even know if it's meant to be a joke, but I did laugh when he, ins- he like assures Noriko that the boats are like specially made for this. Then you cut to him seeing the boat and it looks like a piece of shit. And like, <laughs> I, don't know, I, thought, I thought there was good comic beats in the movie. Yeah, that was, that got a big laugh in my, in my showing. Yeah, and so I think, if I think that's a comedic moment, I think there's a couple. There's, uh, I wish I had gotten to see this movie another time because there is one other like moment where I felt like there was a great like deadpan kind of cut like that or something where some like a character says something and then like looks at whatever is going on and immediately is like nope. <laughs> um. So so yeah, I I agree. Like and and actually, as we're talking, like I do want to clarify. I think. I was more raising a common complaint against Koichi is that the the actor is flat and I can see where that complaint comes from because he is being asked to kind of be simultaneously this like complex character, but also the audience cipher. So he has to be a little bit uh, subdued so that the audience can kind of all project ourselves onto him. He, he's um, also like mentally clusterfucked too. Yes. Like, yeah, you know, I would, I, that, I would argue that being subdued is very much in character for him because uh, with all he's dealing with, it would leave him very numb to everything. He would have a lot of trouble expressing those emotions until we get those breaks from him, and and we get those those moments where he really just he breaks down, and, and there's a whole lot of drama in those scenes. So I, I would say that um, it's very much correct take on the character and acted well. And I like I like though I really like that you have this like main character who's more generally subdued and and a little bit a little bit more even, and then you surround him with characters around him who are more over the top yeah no i'm i mean i'm with you guys my favorites were definitely um the captain and dr noda um and yeah i mean some scenes like the 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 scenes of him having like flashbacks and ptsd stuff i mean seemed to be fairly like um i don't know it seemed like they 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 seem very honestly portrayed um and I don't know stuff like that. It's it's hard to get stuff like that right, and I don't think anyone going into a Godzilla movie is gonna like expect stuff like that. A character to be doubting whether or not he's actually alive. Yes, <laughs> after having a horrible nightmare about watching all of his uh, people that he was responsible for be brutally murdered. Yes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Before we move away from characters, I do want to mention the meme in the room. Uh, we do have a JoJo reference. Uh, Ryunosuke Kamiki plays Koichi in this movie. He also plays Koichi in the JoJo JoJo's Bizarre Adventure movie. Yes. I don't know what any of that means, but 
I mean, I know what JoJo's is, but that's the extent of me understanding anything you just said. It, it's a it's a Takashi Miike flick, so you should. Watch I it. did know he did what the live action version or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's a live action version of like the very beginning of part four of the manga. Can you watch that movie as a standalone? Like, um, if you don't, it's you know? it's good that the power structure is probably confusing of what's going on, but otherwise, yes, you probably can. Just know that you're watching the first part, the first part of a trilogy that never had the follow-ups made. <laughs> there and you go, Trev. About, yeah, I was say. <laughs> it's your bread and butter. Add it, to, add it to the list. <laughs> um. All right. Well. Let's talk about the biggest cast member, to her. Um, let's talk about <laughs> Godzilla himself. <laughs> that, you know, that I had like that's like I had to. That's how like these like EPK things always talk about Godzilla. Um, so obviously, we said he's a big old jerk. Um, but uh, let's let's actually kind of break down how we feel about other things about this Godzilla, you know, how he looks, um, the way, you know, the differences, the variations on things about him. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll say right out the gate, um, with this more, uh, just with him being more of a, you know, a bad guy, you know, kind of a, the jerk Godzilla, I guess we can call him. Um, I love that uh, he's so stubborn that he knows that, like, if he uses his beam, it's basically going to, like, melt his mouth, but it'll regenerate, and he just doesn't care and does it anyway. Um, And speaking of which, I think this movie leans into the, you know, Godzilla having that Wolverine, like, healing factor, probably more than any that we've seen up till now, and it's... um, you know, that that can be very tempting, I'm sure, to be like, oh, this is proof Godzilla is like the biggest, strongest, like he's like Wolverine. But I like that they they kind of did what they could to reverse that and that they use this to show that he is vulnerable. Like if like there's a, a mine goes off in his face, it blows like half of his head off and you just see it like regrow. But you also see that he's like through the rest of the movie, he's got like a big, like it's a pink scar on his face. And you see that. You know, whenever he gets, like, uh, shot up with tanks and stuff, um, you know, you see it scar over. Um, To me, that kind of just made it more creepy. Um, And, I mean, I don't know. I'm not someone that gets super obsessive about designs, but he looks cool. Um, And, uh, yeah, I'm I'm all in on, on this version of Godzilla, so... We'll kind of go around the room and open it up from there. Um, for this one, I'll start with you, Tom. What is what is you know the more uh, the, your more in depth? The thoughts? last time I had anything approaching a jaw dropping moment with Godzilla was probably two thousand one, uh, GMK. Something about that movie and the age I was at the time. I there were various points in that movie where I was like, whoa. Whoa, whoa. With regards to Godzilla himself. This movie, and I, I don't know if it's if it's the Godzilla of it or if it's the Yamazaki of it, but either way, this movie there were multiple times where my jaw like popped open for a second because I just couldn't believe that that a thing was happening. And whether you know, early in the movie when Godzilla shows up and he is what, probably like fifty feet. If that, um, yeah, maybe less. 
and he is just laying waste to the to the garrison. I mean, there is a there's a brutality to that moment that almost feels like Yamazaki really likes the movie uh, Godzilla versus King Ghidorah, but always thought that the idea of him rampaging in that part where they say he's rampaging didn't come across as him rampaging and and was like let me show you so what a Jurassic what a Park rampage did. looks like and when Godzilla starts like biting dudes in half and I know he's not eating them but when he's just like biting dudes in half and throwing them away like that was I was kind of shocked and then during the 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 boat chase sequence with with the mines when he gets half his face blown off I was like whoa, whoa what what is happening here? I it's been a very long time since since anything with Godzilla has kind of shocked me that way. And I already said he's very animalistic. He's just like he's very similar to the 64 Godzilla and that's my favorite Godzilla. So to recapture that the spirit of like you can you can hope to stop this thing, but your plan is probably going to fail because he's beyond what we know. But at least you can try and your efforts will do something. I really like that. I really, really prefer my Godzilla to be stoppable and not unstoppable. And so I just thought it was like a it's like a pitch perfect Godzilla to me. It, this is like what I love my Godzilla to be like. What do you think of the spines raising when he does? Oh, his, I don't really uh, care. <laughs> but well, I'm 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 fishing for a comment you made to, that to I'm, get something I'm not out getting... of me on that. It's the whole everything with Godzilla with with the radioactive breath. My take was that it all hurts him. It hurts him to power up this breath. It hurts him to use it. We see it like blows off the side of his mouth and stuff when he uses it. And he is just so pissed off. Uh, so on a rampage, so confused, all of those things, whatever, whatever human emotion you want to project onto a, a rampaging animal. He is so that, that he doesn't care that it's hurting him that, and it's causing him pain. He wants to inflict pain. You know, they, they managed to take Godzilla and do some different things with them that we hadn't really seen before, which I applaud. I like the spikes poking out. I thought it was like just a neat effect. thought the atomic breath was um, frankly terrifying in, in how it worked. I thought they, they also used that pretty cleverly and how they, you know, it fits within the context of how they're going to end up defeating Godzilla. One thing that's great about this is you get Godzilla basically, what, four times, and every time it's very different. It's not, like, the same kind of thing. And I'm glad to see a return to, like, the crazy, very, like, it's a military, it's a, it's a civilian plot to defeat Godzilla, but it's unlike anything that we've really seen before. And it was incredibly creative. Um, I just thought that was fun. And I love how just, frankly, God, this Godzilla is such a jerk and, and just incredibly ferocious that every time he's on the screen, like I was blown away. And the fact that he's in the movie so little, but I can still feel that way shows you how much good storytelling affects the outcome of the movie. Cause you could have put this really cool Godzilla in there and had a terrible story and would have taken me out of it. When you're able to put the, the balance of the human characters with this Frank, I mean, Godzilla stepping on people, he's punching ships. He's just lashing out in anger the entire time. And like, he really is pretty freaking scary. So 
I thought Yamazaki did an awesome job. It's very recognizable as Godzilla. They tweaked the roar to make it more like the 54 and like the early 80s, uh, late 80s, early 90s Godzilla roar, which I thought was really fun. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, this is a, this is definitely terrifying Godzilla. Um, I like that you mentioned the plan to, to, to kill him. You know, it, that, that did have a very old school, how do you beat a monster thing to it? And, you know, their plan was to basically tighten submersible, <laughs> you know, um, uh, which was awesome. Um, uh, Lux, how do you feel about the Godzilla of all of this? When it comes to a villain type Godzilla, I gotta say that this is probably my ideal, uh, accepting the 54 Godzilla because like Trev said, we kind of put 54 on its own like level and then there's the rest of them. Um, so if, as far as Godzilla as a villain, this one is like at the top for me easily. Uh, he's just so wild. And, uh, like Tom said, our first introduction to him is that very Jurassic Park sequence where he's just tearing apart these dudes on the island and just destroying like their little encampment and flipping the fighter jet over. And it's like, oh, this is so just, it's it's really just an unexpected uh, introduction to Godzilla for the movie after so long with just you know, what we, we usually expect from Godzilla. It, it was a very fresh uh, introduction. Uh, and then, again, to echo about the, the boat sequence, which I think is going to be iconic, uh, even though it's very much calling back to Jaws, uh, in a way, uh, with Godzilla chasing him and then the, the mind blowing off half of his face and then seeing the face regenerate and then, like, the oh-fuck face on all the characters. <laughs> uh, it's like, that. that is an iconic moment. And it's it's just, uh, you just, you're both terrified, and then you've got the biggest grin on your face, because it's like, I cannot believe I'm seeing this right now. This is so cool. Uh, uh, but then you get to, uh, um, I believe what Matt was saying was, the most terrifying thing in the movie for me is the the Ginza, like the the first seeing like the nuclear uh breath uh is yeah. <laughs> wow, what a terrifying moment. <laughs> it's like I get chills right now just thinking about it. And if I if I was gonna go see the movie again, that's a moment I, I it would still terrify me on a second watch. Uh because the the imagery and the impact of it uh, and then also, uh, I'm with Trevor. I was very invested with uh, characters involved in the scene, so it, it had a, a very big impact on me uh, when I was watching. And yeah, this this Godzilla is awesome. Uh, I, I also really love, like you said, how uh, you can track the scars on him throughout the movie. Like everything that they do, it has an impact. It, it's he's he's surviving everything, so they're not like killing him but it's doing something uh, he's progressively getting more scarred, more monstrous and, and disgusting and, and uh, otherworldly looking just, uh, by the end of the movie, he's so covered in like gross scars and stuff that he is just like something out of Lovecraft. Uh, so uh, I, I really like that about this version of the Godzilla. And I, I, I would hope that, um, it's something that we keep getting because it, it kind of started with Shin Godzilla and we're continuing here with a more traditional version of it. Uh, I hope we get it. We see this more with future versions of Godzilla. 
Um, and they finally explained how Godzilla can be standing in the oh, middle of yes, the ocean. Yes, we, we love, we've, 70 years, <laughs> we've wondered, how can Godzilla stand in the middle of the ocean? Well, he's not standing, he is floating, because that big fat ass is buoyant. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, all right, Kevin, where are you on this version of Godzilla? Because we've gotten a whole bunch of them, and this is kind of probably the meanest he's been in a while. What do you think of all that? Uh, I I dig it. I mean, it's it's something you know. Frankly, we we had a while without a, a mean Godzilla. A Godzilla versus Kong kind of did it a little bit, but uh, going going uh, full malicious mode. You know, with with Shin Godzilla, he's just kind of inscrutable um, the whole time. So even though he, yeah, he just kind of like strolls through town you know he's not he's not really mm-hmm. aggressive um so that i can i can appreciate kind of going again the this very back to basics approach uh kind of similar to what we we had in the original movie to some extent and just rendered in a way that you re- you really get the feeling of like uh targeting individual people uh uh, you know, similar to what we had in, in GMK. Uh, regarding the design, I think it's it's a it's a fine design. It's not my favorite, but you know, I think that it it looks good. Um, I think it was very smart of them to kind of focus test it a little bit with Godzilla the Ride and kind of see what works and what didn't, right. uh, and then because it's very yeah, similar, exactly. Uh, and then it just feels like a natural iteration on that, rather than you know something that's completely whole cloth, um, brand new. Uh, the, you know, the, the early version of him, I, I, I might like even more the, you know, the Odo Island Godzilla, um, which, you know, and I, I have to wonder, like, it looks almost like they took a little bit from the 98 Godzilla mm-hmm. for that. Especially like in the well, head. there's there's parts of it that remind me of like the William Stout version. Mm-hmm. Yeah the the Steve yeah, Miner okay. one that never yeah. got made. Yeah, I can see that. Or even like the Marvel oh, comics yeah. one, yeah, almost. Yeah. Um, I mean, to some extent, that's gonna that's gonna come across when you're trying to do a more quote realistic end quote version of the character, but yeah. Um, Dinosaurian, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, well, that's a it's a fantastic sequence. Even if he's, you know, maybe should be eating some people, but uh, isn't allowed to because of studios. Yeah, Toho don't they don't like they yeah they say oh you better not have meat no one yeah yeah um, it's it's interesting that yeah, we got tr- this. I feel like we've gotten kind of conflicting stuff from Yamazaki because he's made statements about how like Godzilla is supposed to be like a god that you have to appease, but then. Uh, he doesn't really seem like that's his his modus operandi when he's when he's around. I mean, he's definitely reacting. Yeah, he he also he yeah he also said like he he looked at it as like a Shinto uh, deity sort of like a manifestation of all the bad things that humanity does, and that is like this Godzilla lack of consistency in messaging from Takashi Yamazaki. 
No. Yeah, he does that. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get, if Yamazaki has a weakness, that is it. We'll 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 get into that in in a little well, bit. The, the other thing, like regarding the, the 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 metaphor, there is like one of the things that he has said on record is that like he wrote it kind of at the in the early days of the COVID pandemic. And if you look at this movie that is about this creature that seems like it comes in waves and is constantly changing and everything that gets thrown at it just kind of like it bounces back stronger than before. And the government isn't helping and it's, you know, the individual people have to um, take on the responsibility of uh, taking care of it. You know, and I was like, okay, yeah, I can see, kind of see what you're going with there. That's a good read. Yeah. Um, I like that. Um all right, Trev, what about you for this Godzilla and any favorite Godzilla moments? Yeah, I mean, I, to echo again a lot of what everyone said, I think it is my favorite villainous version of Godzilla. I also really liked the Odo Island version the best. I thought just seeing um, you know a little smaller, more life uh, Godzilla was really, really cool. You sure it's not because Godzilla? People might think I'm joking if they don't know you, but Godzilla vs King Ghidorah is there your favorite Godzilla movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is my favorite movie. Um, but uh, no, I, I, look, it's hard to make this character scary again, and I think this movie pulls it off. I think he actually is—he's a, a frightening beast in this movie, which is like hasn't been for a very long time, and it's actually terrifying. Um, I love the spines raising because I mean that's good cinematic. You know, that kind of escalation, it like reminds me of um, in Matt Reeves, the Batman, like the Batmobile starting up and just like, you know, you hear it first and you see it light up and you want moments like that. Like if, if a character does something really cool and iconic and you know the audience is waiting to see it, make them wait for it and make the build up awesome. And I thought the spines raising was a really cool detail. I'll actually this is where I'll like a slight disagreement I have with everyone is that the regeneration aspect uh, as the movie went on, I got more used to it. But that first moment where they blow half his face off and then they show it and it kind of instantly regrows, that was like the first moment in the movie that kind of lost me a little bit. And I think it's just because up until that point, everything about the movie felt so grounded and realistic. And like, mm. and then his face like instantly regrows. And I was like, oh man, that just feels so sci-fi for like what the rest of this had been. And it kind of like worried me at that point. I was like, oh no, oh, oh no, are we heading into like, a, are we losing like that grounded aspect? Now from that point on, you know, they, as you said, they use like the regeneration thing as in a scientific sense and kind of build it into how they have to acknowledge that in their plan. So it's, it never bothered me as much as it did in that one moment, but I will say it was jarring when it happened to me and I wasn't super into it, though I loved the visual of him chasing the boat and just his head out of the water and like behind. That's like, that's one of my favorite Godzilla visuals I've seen in a long time too. But yeah, overall, I loved it. I also think it was really cool how, you know, we obviously it's all fully CGI Godzilla, but I liked that there were moments, especially when he gets bigger near the end, where he's still animated to kind of look like a man in suit. And I think that's like a nice contrast again to what, you know, Legendary is doing, where they make him more, much more just overly animated. Yeah, and I like. He's going to be doing backflips. I saw someone else say this, and I agree. <laughs> there are some shots in this where they're showing him walk like side profile, and like it almost looks like the articulation of an action figure, like the way his like thighs are moving. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I like that it's like it looks practical, even though it's not. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know me, I'm one of those Godzilla always looks like Godzilla guys. I don't get into the minutia of the designs, but I, I thought he looked great. And I just thought, character wise, I thought he was really, really scary. And that's what this movie needed. So I, I dug him for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, you guys have all said the everything that I, I mean. This is the most in sync we are we've ever <laughs> been <laughs> on the, on this show. Um, 
but yeah, he's horrifying. He's uh, he's he's mean, but he is still like a, an animal that didn't ask for any of this. That's why, like, when they do defeat him at the end, I kind of liked the the nod of like everyone kind of giving him like the salute. Um, uh, and yeah, the, this is after so many Godzilla movies, you really don't know how they could ever make this thing scary again. And they really did. And I think we've all mentioned the Ginza sequence and it's, that's gotta be the most on the nose, evocative, you know, uh, that Godzilla has been, especially with, you know, the bomb and imagery of the bomb, probably since 54. I mean, you know, when he shoots that beam and it creates a mushroom cloud, it's pretty much like a nuke going off. And and you, you see people cowering in fear and it's like, you're about to watch a, a atomic bomb decimate these people. Um, and we really haven't had something that has hit that hard in a while. And then to follow that up with Black Rain... It's the first time we've ever seen Black Rain in a Godzilla movie. Anyone listening at home doesn't know what that is. That is the phenomenon of, you know, after after the, the atomic bomb uh, explosions, you know, the charred ashes and, and stuff would go into the atmosphere, and when it rains, it would be black um, because of the bombings. And this is the first time we've actually seen that in a Godzilla movie. I've seen some people say back and forth, well, it, it's not anti-nuke enough. And after years of, you know, the, the MonsterVerse acting crazy with that stuff, I can see why someone might be like, okay, they should lean into it as hard as possible. But it's like, I don't know. It's like I, kind of what I said earlier. This isn't, re- there's themes and metaphors and subtext, but... This isn't like a message movie. Yeah, you movie. can't win on this because it's if a, they leaned into it harder, people would say that they'd say, "Oh, it's it's batting you over the head with the message." This is, this is a this is a can't win. Yeah, it, it, like yeah, it's just I don't know. It, like to me, the imagery speaks for itself. You know, seeing these people cower in fear, a mushroom cloud basically evaporate everybody, and then black rain. What else do you need to say? You know, we know what this is. Um, and, you know, you even have, you know, your kind of typical Godzilla movie thing where, you know, you have people with Geiger counters. There's a part where they're, you know, getting readings on a bicycle, which is, like, pretty grim. You know, I mean, it's there. Right? We don't need it spelled out, and we don't need it to distract from the story, which is this guy learning to readjust life after all this stuff that he's going if, through. I think um, if they had gone more with it, and I, I would have liked I would have liked it just just to go just a tick further because I really would have liked if after Koichi gets caught in the black rain, he, you know, maybe scratches his head or something and comes away and he's like, huh, my hair, you know, and like just even that one little mention could have could have done it for me. Um, But like, I do think that to an extent and I, I could see Yamazaki specifically struggling with this. Boy, if I take this further Will people really just accuse me of being a remake of the original then? Because, you know, in, in addition to basically playing out like a remake, it's the first Godzilla movie. It's set in the po- immediate post-war era. Godzilla's, you know, kind of created by the, 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 
atomic testing in the Pacific. If I also really hammer into this nuclear message, or people are going to be like, oh, he just remade the original movie. I agree. I think if he played too hard into it, it would have just been called uh, almost a straight remake, even though the character study is there. I, I think it would have detracted from the character study because we would all end up talking about it being uh, a remake and be and, and talking about the subtext of the nuclear stuff instead of talking about Koichi, which is which is what we're supposed to be talking about. Hmm. Yeah. Um. And, and yeah, that's just, I don't know. I, to me, it's not needed. And there's so much that, I don't know, it, it, it feels enough like classic Godzilla that, I don't know, there, there's not a whole lot that you need to do there. You know, it's kind of just not the point. Um, one, uh, yeah, you guys said everything one else. One on the bicycle um, bird, or really, for, I guess, for everybody. But yeah. um, and there's a, a famous picture of a tricycle that was recovered in Hiroshima. And it basically was like that bike that they were finding mm-hmm. at the door. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, no, that's a great observation too. There's, there's a lot of, um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's just a lot of stuff that kind of speaks for itself. Um, I, mean, I think, I think the key is, but like, yeah, the Ginza. Point, I mean, <laughs> the stupidity of like the kind of MonsterVerse version of this aside, you know, by this point, most people know that Godzilla is an inherent metaphor for you know nukes and so you don't need to lean into it that much this movie shows that you can still the, the overall message of the movie still very much is leaning on the stupidity of war and you know what war right. does to people and you don't yeah. have to do that with the nuke stuff you can just now it's almost more interesting to say well we can also tell the story through the futility of kamikaze bombing and so you know what i mean like that's that is like kind of new to the series and you don't have to just keep going back to the same the same only idea of saying well the only way to say this i guess is to remind people that nukes are bad y- yeah we know we saw oppenheimer earlier this year too you know yeah, yeah. I know that. Yeah, it's tempting to want it to go harder. Just after Mike, I mean, you got Mike Doherty saying all kinds of crazy stuff. But like, you know, is it what's best for the movie, or would you just be doing it to just check the box off? You know. Um. But yeah, I, I, I everything about the Godzilla scenes is great. Like, I mean, we we talked about the plan to. To kill, I've I've told these guys I've joked like you know uh, the with the plan to to kill him you know that you have the what I I called him the my pillow guy of balloons <laughs> showing up and being like I got these big ass balloons you know and you know we're gonna try to crush them under the sea pressure and if that doesn't work we're gonna bring them up and try and get them to turn inside out basically like uh, that's like kooky Godzilla science but this movie finds a way to just make it make it work. And I and I loved, you know, Koichi has a moment where he's like, Can you guarantee this will kill him? And they're like, uh no. <laughs> and he's like, what if it doesn't work? And they're like, uh, we have a plan B. And it's like, well what if that doesn't work? It's like, well I don't know. And then his his instant thought, because he's all messed up, is like, well, I guess I'll crash into him. <laughs> you know? Um well, speaking of Godzilla, um, as Trev had mentioned, this is an all-CG Godzilla. I think all of us, you know, we like the practical effects, the man-in-suit Godzilla, and over the years, whether it's the legendary stuff, Shin Godzilla, we've had a lot of CG Godzillas at this point. Um, how are we feeling about, I guess, the special effects themselves in this movie? Um, and that's... I don't know that uh, that might be something that you know 
we want to unpack or might just be some, some of us just have more general statements about, about, um, but, uh, I think we're all man in suit guys. Um, so I'm just going to kind of get a feel for how everyone feels like this one handled it. There's a lot of talk about, um, this movie having such a drastically smaller budget than a Hollywood movie. And a lot of people saying like, Hey, if they can do this for, you know, this amount of money, there's people keep saying 15 million, but I've asked, uh, Kevin's like my go-to fact check guy. And I was like, can you find like an actual source for that? Is like, no. I mean, the closest we had was Yamazaki saying like, it's like a 10th of a Hollywood movie budget or something. Yeah. I think it all comes back to, there's a single variety article that says 15 million, but where that. And it was a review too. It It wasn't wasn't even like a, um, but yeah, I, I so I don't know. I mean, how do we feel about it? Do we feel like those posts and memes are over exaggerating, or do we feel like there's some truth to them? Uh, I mean, I, I thought the effects were great. I mean, I like everyone else. I've seen all the discussion about how, oh, it's so like how come Hollywood can't do this and like it's so cheap. And probably forgetting that these artists were probably paid like nothing to work on it, just like in Hollywood, yeah, <laughs> right? Probably, yeah. probably even worse than Hollywood. I, um, it, it, yeah, Kevin, was it you that actually found like the salary of the VFX guys? Yeah, for for sure, for me. And it was like <laughs> like three. It's not much different over here than it is over there. Is what yeah. we could say. About I mean, that. I think the key here is that you know I, I get where people are coming from because we're so we've been so hit over the head with CGI vomit spectacles from Hollywood for the last few years. And I think what's what people are you know and people are like oh why can't Hollywood do this? All they're really saying is that. It's not that the effects are better. It's that let's just calm down about how to use the effects because the level of spectacle here is lesser but more emotionally driven. So, I mean, it's not ending with the same kind of gigantic CGI spectacle that we're getting in the Hollywood movies. It's It has just the right amount of spectacle. You know, it's it keeps the, you know, like oh, there's a few big attacks, but it never is trying to do something it can't do. It's never like exceeding its own you know abilities and, and any effects and, I mean, look, one of my, we, I know we've all said, or in our group thread, we've talked about how usually one of the biggest dangers of like these kind of movies is having scenes set in the sunlight. You know, you always want to put stuff in like the dark and the rain. And here, I mean, like most of it's in the daytime and I, I thought it always looked great. You know, I never had, I never had like a gigantic concern where it's like, Ooh, this looks iffy. Like the whole time I was just buying into it. But again, even if there was anything iffy, I probably wasn't noticing because I was into the story. And that's another key element. You know, bad CGI will mean more to yeah. you if the movie sucks. There are plenty of good movies with bad CGI, and I forgive it because I don't care because I care about the characters or I care about the choreography of the scene or the idea of the scene. And I think that's the case here, too. So if anything was shaky, I just didn't notice it because I was already on board. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I mean, I know my take on it is pretty much the same, so I'll just spit that out real quick. But um, as far as CG Godzilla's go, I think that this was handled really well it, it, because he's so slow. He doesn't have the chance to like kind of bounce around and float around as much as like the legendary version. Um, for you know various issues I have with Shin Godzilla, that one's really inconsistent. Like there's some shots that look great, and then there's other ones where it looks like a PlayStation game. Like the consistency here is something that I think should be acknowledged. It's more the quality is more consistent, um, which might have something to do with Yamazaki. Um, all his movies, in addition to directing and usually writing, he also works like 
triple duty as the visual effects supervisor. So he's like, he has a visual effects director, but at the end of the day, he's got like, he's very hands-on in charge of that whole process. And we know both in Hollywood movies and in Japanese movies, you know, when you have a movie that's really relying on CG, I mean, there's a lot of movies where the directors aren't even really involved with that. You know, I mean, um, I've been, uh, Trev sent me a paragraph from this book about Marvel about how, you know, Captain America, the Winter Soldier was all animated, pre-vised and everything before like the director even got there. And I love that movie, but that's very common for the directors to really not be super hands-on with this stuff. And so I think him being that involved adds some consistency that is important. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. Some people I know have been weird about like, you know, how he walks and there's a little bit of validity to it. And some shots are a little stranger looking, but to me, they almost seemed like made him look more otherworldly and weird. Yeah, I think they're good. Uh, I don't have too much more to add. So I'll keep it very brief, and I, I'd say what I think people are responding to when they say, why can't we have movies that look like this? And da, 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 is It's kind of like Trev mentioned it. It's judicious use usage of effects. Uh, when there's not an action sequence, instead of everyone standing around on a green screen with like a whole bunch of useless crap flying around in the background constantly, it's just in a set or outside or something like that where it just there's a tactility to the everything else of the movie and i think that's what people are responding to because that's that's a lot of what i responded to was just how i was sitting there being like oh isn't it so nice that this movie just feels like it was like filmed inside of this little hovel of a house instead of like in a green screen near something that sort of looked like a hovel of a house. Um, and so I really like that. Like, you know, it's obviously CG, CG Godzilla. That's we're we're here forever now. We're never going back to suits unless they're the overly, uh, please father, may I rest final war suit <laughs> getting <laughs> used just forever and ever until it falls apart in those little shorts. But, uh, you know, using, just being judicious with how you use the effects is to is the way to make them pop when you use them, and I think they pop. Yeah, I thought I thought the effects were mostly great, and whatever whatever complaints I might have were pretty dumb. So I think yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. I think that it is uh, quite beneficial that you know. Yamazaki's team is basically a well-oiled machine at this point, and um, at least as far as I can tell or I can I can estimate, I don't think that they had to do a whole lot of reinventing the wheel for this movie. Uh, when you think about stuff like like Attack on Titan, where they're like trying to synthesize the Sumation and the CGI, or like Shin Godzilla, where they built that big prop, and then they're like, oh, no, we don't actually want to use this. And they just had to do a whole lot of um, new creation for for those projects. And I think some of the unevenness of those is because of that. I think Yamazaki's team 
they they had frames of reference for a lot of this stuff already down. You know, they did so much naval action between you know Archimedes and, and the Eternal Zero, um, and you know, shots rendering uh, old Tokyo from you know the Always films and and going forward. That I think they they really kind of knew what they were doing from the from the outset. I think it was probably yeah. Um, smoothed over a lot of the a lot of the potential pitfalls that they might have had to to go with there. So that even though it did seem like they were working up until the last minute, um, they they got stuff um, generally through pretty satisfactorily. Um, and now, were there places where the special effects could have used a little bit of improvement? I think probably, yeah. Um, you know, the the walk cycle sometimes it does look a little bit iffy in a couple of the shots, but it's not anything that really detracts from the overall experience. And I think that the, the best scenes, um, still work and that they're very well framed, very well paced, uh, et cetera, even if they could have, you know, been, you know, rendered with a few more polygons or a little bit more muscle physics or something like that. Um, that said, you know, it's, it's something that was apparent is that, you know, they were, there's there's room for improvement. I think with Sublimation, a lot of the time there's room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, there, you're never gonna find a perfect all around like that. Doesn't happen yeah. often. Uh, when, when we saw it, um, um, we actually <clears throat> ran into Yuji Kaida immediately afterwards, and his thoughts were like, "Well, is an American audience going to accept this level of CGI?" And he was very concerned about that. So it seems like from the reactions that I'm seeing. That like yeah, are- he, he yeah his we can put those concerns yeah. to rest I think um, well I know Yamazaki even like because he's always wanted to make a Godzilla movie and there was that scene with the CG Godzilla and Always Two which was in two thousand seven and he said shortly after that Toho was like hey that was a pretty cool scene like yeah ever think about maybe you want to do one of these and he was like eh, I don't know that like I guess that scene was like took lot out of his team and he was like yeah we'll i don't know that we're ready yet and then you know he he kind of wanted to feel like what he could do in japan with the the cg was at least caught up enough that it could look good and then you know he saw shin godzilla doing it and then you know he felt better about it so i i think even he was like you know i gotta make sure that we're doing this when the timing yeah. is right and, and again um, he did not work on Shin Godzilla, but oh, yeah, that was a, yeah, that was a different Takashi Yamazaki. Yes, yeah, just, that is credited with a CG credit. But yeah, his 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 the company that he works for, Shirogumi, did do work on it. So I'm sure he knew a lot of the people who were working on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure there's some overlap there. I feel like everybody's pretty much nailed this one in, and I don't really have much extra to add to it so i'll keep it brief like tom um like kevin said i I really i really noticed that a lot of this felt like it had been built up from previous works from yamazaki you can definitely tell that the stuff that uh, they did in the great war of archimedes with nate like the big opening sequence with the sinking of the battleship yamato um definitely we we see some of that with the the sinking of uh the ship uh, during the minesweeper sequence. Um, uh, we see 
uh, uh, all the shots of Tokyo, like Kevin said, which is very reminiscent of uh, the Always movies. Um, so there's a lot of assets that they were already working with. All they had to do was translate into a Godzilla movie, uh, and it it all just it, it worked very well, I think. Um, and like Kevin said, I think the only things that really felt any awkward at all uh, were the ones that kind of took you out because they were just. Uh, a couple moments where it was just a big wide shot of the neutral walking animation, and it just it's it kind of felt a little awkward, and and that's everything. But those, the, and I'm just nitpicking those really because everything else is so spectacular. Yeah. Um, for a CG Godzilla, um, I'm very happy with this. Before we move on to the next topic, something I forgot to ask you guys when I was just talking about Godzilla himself, just because I've seen some people this has bothered more than others. Um, do you think that Koichi first says, like, to, uh, like, do you think it's weird that when he says, like, yeah, I was on this island and there was this big dinosaur that no one is, like, like, everyone just kind of believes him? No. Uh, the first, let's see, the, the only people he tells are the people on the boat with him who are staring at a destroyer that has been mangled in some way. And they all kind of agree. They're like, what? It wasn't a bomb. A bomb looks different because they're all war veterans. Uh, so they all know like what bombs and explosions look like. So like, the only thing this could have been would be like a giant creature, but there's no creatures that are that big. And, you know, he ends up being like, well, actually, uh, there is. And I saw it. <laughs> and, you know, that's just a way, like, I would then believe, like, if I was looking at like a house that had a footprint in it and I was, and I was like, well, there's no people that are, or there's no like monster that's this big and someone was like well actually i saw it yesterday i'd be like oh real okay um and then the only other person he tells is noriko who i think has like a character motivation or a reason or however you want to frame it or whatever to either just outright believe him or even pretend that she believes him I think even if he'd told more people, I think like metaphorically and on a thematic level, there's no better time for a country to be willing to believe a story like that than in the wake of, uh, you know, so going through such a national hell that's like devastated the entire country and they're all <laughs> traumatized. And, you know, their lives have been completely upended. Everyone's like, you know, lives have been destroyed to just hear like, yeah, there's also a monster. Like, people are just like, oh, all right, Jesus Christ, this is like another thing now. I think it's just like <laughs> the level of acceptance there is different coming out of something like World War II. It's it's almost like remember in, in when like COVID first broke out and it was like it almost just seemed like every yeah. day things were getting more, more absurdly bad <laughs> than the previous day. This is also like what 15 years after the first Loch Ness monster sighting and like that, that took off real fast in terms of people just accepting it. So yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Anyone, anyone else have any, any thoughts to throw into there? I just thought it was it a... being a period piece. And so people being less cynical about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, let's take a few minutes to talk about the music. Um, uh, Naoki Sato, who is uh, Yamazaki's usual composer, did the score. Um, and we also have the use of the classic Ifukube themes. Um, 
I guess, uh, how did we feel about both of those things? How did we feel about the original music as well as how the the music from the old films was used? I found the score serviceable. There was nothing about it that was aggravating to me or is like this is a bad score but nothing that sitting here one day after seeing it i necessarily remember except for the old themes so i'd say like it works in the moment but uh it wasn't a score that blew me away obviously it, it did, did its job, job yeah. but so it's it, not something you're gonna listen to right independently the, I, I you know clearly the i kind of wish they'd only done the theme once in the finale um I don't okay. like, yeah, I mean, I get like, it almost makes, I don't know. It seems like it, well, I guess it almost makes more sense. And during the attack, cause that's more, more of like, this is actually Godzilla raising hell and not us defeating Godzilla or ever, but it just felt <laughs> like it might've been more impactful if we only heard it the one time. And I know we get like a, a more full version of it in, in the, in the finale, but, uh, but no, obviously both times it came on, I was happy to, happy to hear it. That's just, that's just a minor okay. thing. I think it might've been even cooler at the end if we hadn't already heard it uh, alluded to earlier, but yeah. Um, that was obviously like it, it's telling. That seems that seems like more of a criticism than I mean it to be. But the it is it is telling that the only music I remember is the classic theme, and the rest of the score I'm kind of mm-hmm. like yeah, whatever. I it was fine in the moment, I guess. That's just such an interesting, almost sister opinion because we all like everyone else here, a friend of ours, said in the Ginza attack when they first play the original music, it threw him out of the movie so bad. That he like never recovered. I thought it was appropriate. There. I just wish. I think it was appropriate, and yet I also still think it might have been better if they left it out there and saved it for the end. If that makes sense, like. I think okay. I think I would be um, the closest to the middle of the road because I actually do agree that it, hearing it in that moment did kind of make that scene weird for me. Um, because it, it, I don't know. There's just something off about it for me. It, it didn't feel like it felt. It wasn't in the same tone as the Sato score, which was just kind of like Trevor said, it's just serviceable, which is Sato and and pretty much any Yamazaki movie for me. It's just a serviceable score. It it never really stands out, but it gets the job done and and it hits all the emotional beats when it needs to. Um, So we've only had that up until this point. And then we get a very different tone and very different sound, which which does not match the rest of the score. Uh, And it does kind of throw you a little bit, Um, especially since this is also a big daylight sequence. Um, uh, and we're used to seeing Godzilla, you know, in CG movies being obscured and stuff. So there's just a lot of stuff going on at once that's kind of new and not expected for the movie that we've been watching up until that point. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, 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 it's a little bit shocking at first, but it, it eases you into it, I think. Um, but I agree with Trev. Um, I wish it wasn't in that scene that we had only gotten it at the end. Um, because I have actually, I've listened to the score a couple of times since watching the movie. And, and I think that the rendition at the end, which includes um, some movements from uh, Mouth of vs. Godzilla, as well as King Kong vs. Godzilla, um, that rendition in the finale is the better piece. And it fits that finale much better uh, than what we got with uh, the truncated version that's just in the Ginza part. I, I also okay. agree with that. Kevin, how do you feel? Uh, you um, it's, it's, it's incongruous. Um, the, the kind of tone that, uh, Sato has, which, um, our, our friend Marty, who knows more about music than most people, he, <laughs> he called it a Philip yes. Glass score, uh, which I can kind of, kind of get along with. And I mean, he's Sato, like 
he's riffing on stuff he's done before because like some of the uh like the the jet fighter music sounds very similar motif wise to like what's in the eternal zero but yeah i i feel like that almost had to be like on purpose because yeah eternal zero is a movie about a shamed kamikaze and he has i'll just i mean i don't know spoiler alert i guess uh he has the opposite uh arc of koichi in that he does perish (laughs) to fulfill his duty and yeah this kind of reuses like cues of it um during that last scene i have to think that there's some kind of internal contrast that we're yamazaki is Mm -hmm. playing with uh i i think that the the ifakube music is most strongly used in that final assault and i wonder how much of you know how much of it was just obligatory for that ginza scene because oh this is this is now the godzilla music even though it was originally used for a military march like mm-hmm. it works better for the military march like being that assault um on yeah. godzilla at the end of the movie um a lot of people have been commenting that you know oh they just reuse the 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 arrangement from Godzilla's symphonic Fantasia. And I'm just like, whatever that's been like the standard Godzilla score since like destroy, I used it. So it's not particularly mm. broken up about like, if you're upset that, Oh no, there's, there's, there's King Kong versus Godzilla cues in here. Like that's don't worry about it, man. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I didn't feel that it was super jarring or whatever. I was like, oh, they're playing the Godzilla theme because of course they are. Like, I didn't really have any more feelings, but I can definitely see where everyone's coming from and that how it's very different from the, the music that is exclusive to this movie. Uh, Matt, how do you feel? The, you know, the, the score is kind of subdued and pretty reserved. And then it like ends up several pieces end up like building to these big climactic moments. Those bigger pieces of music actually really work for me um the rest of the score was fine it's kind of more ambient noise i do wish that we would have had more like actual theme music pl- played for different things um but it was fine like i i enjoyed the score for what it was it was it's it's fine I, I did actually go back and listen to a comparison of the eternal zero and the soundtrack and they are very they're not the same but they are very similar like same sort of chord progression mm-hmm. motifs and stuff for sure um, what about you, Tom? Yeah, the score's there. It's, 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 uh, that's one of my kind of complaints about the movie, I guess, is the score is just nothing memorable aside from the Godzilla stuff. I, there is one, uh, cue or whatever that I like. Um, it was the one that was used in the first trailer. Um, it's used, I think, I think it's used when he sinks the, the, Whatever the destroyer is, the Tekoa or whatever it's called, the when um, when he sinks that ship, I think that's when it's used in the actual movie proper. Um, but yeah, it's just there. Uh, you know, that's that's uh, yeah, that's kind of one of my complaints, really, because there's you can do a great Godzilla score with or without referencing Ifukube and. You could point to probably any movie from the millennium era to point that out, and this just kind of pales in comparison to that kind of effort. So, meh. Okay, so um, let's get into ultra-spoiler territory. Um, The ending. 
there's one big thing I know we all want to talk about. Um, the ending is where there are maybe, in my opinion, some some things in with the script that you know weren't probably weren't the best. That's not to say that I thought I thought the the last act was bad or anything, but just something that you know maybe uh, another pass might you know be able to beef up or. Or work more, but um, I think I think the one that we all are kind of dying to get to is um, Noriko. Um, I guess I'll start because uh, I don't know. This was this is one of my bigger like this is probably my biggest issue with this movie that I other that I really do love. Um, just the way that character is handled is kind of weird to me um, because we're we're led to believe she dies in in the Ginza attack. Um, which, okay, like, that's, that's when it's like, okay, we just fridged a character, you know, this, this female character, she's dead, it's advancing the, the male protagonist's plot line, it's like, okay, that's already, like, a well-worn out kind of trope, and I really like that character, so yeah, I had that emotional gut punch that Trev had, so at least I felt something, but then at the end... My problem with her living is, I mean, anyone that's known me for a long time knows, uh, I'll just say it, it, that that was also, now, Fridginger is a problem, but then also having her live at the end was a little too Spielberg War of the Worlds, the kid ran into an explosion and now he's alive, for me, my own tastes. Um, Now, I do like that it ends on a kind of ominous what is that it doesn't that whatever that is isn't good note with it kind of uh you see this black scar that's kind of moving on her neck and it sort of almost looks like a godzilla spine it's like okay i don't know what that means but it probably isn't good she's probably it probably means she's got some kind of godzilla cancer or something she's probably gonna die so that's like i guess a little bit better but yeah <laughs> fridging is a problem bringing her Bringing her, bringing her back is uh, war, very War of the Worlds for me, and then it's almost like I would have rather almost just had her stick around and kind of, you know, it, you, you kind of just, you know, have her sit at home while this guy's going off to do this. Um, that that's where I think um, the some people are complaining that you know the, there's a certain amount of audience manipulation at play that feels kind of cheap or something. Um, well, first, let me just say, as you know, I will, if you let me, I would go off and defend the ending of War of the Worlds, which uh, I, I don't like people to complain about that, because <laughs> I think people are missing the point that if that kid died, it would actually ruin Tom Cruise's character arc. But anyways, uh, that, that aside... That's one of our classic yeah. debates. Even though I will defend <laughs> that movie, I agree that I did not, like, when that when that moment happened and he ran to the, the hospital room at the end, I did lean over to my fiance and I was just like, oh, come on, what? No. Like, I loved everything up to this point. There's an easy fix to it, I think, and that is to not have the main character be present when she is seemingly killed. Because, like, even in that moment, like, Mm -hmm. it's kind of, it was a little, like, eyebrow-raising to me that he finds her, like, instantly in the city, too. Like, Right, yeah, like, how did he know where to find her in that whole panic? And then, you know, he's there for her death. If, If instead, the entire movie... He was like led to believe she died because he wasn't there, but he knows she was in the city and like the city has been destroyed. They're not finding any survivors. And then we could even still see the visual of her getting blasted, but it could be like, you know, a thought he has. Like this is what he assumes happened to her. And then at the end you find out she's alive. I would kind of buy into it more. But the fact that he was there and we saw and we saw it through his eyes and it looked pretty definitive what happened to her. 
Um, <laughs> yes. It did. It, it really reeked of like, we talked about this a lot. That almost, I know it's not probably not the case because this wasn't made like a Hollywood film, but it seemed so studio notey. Or like, yeah. Stu- I, I was about and, to say that, you, yeah. And you said the thing about the, the mark on her neck at the end. And I don't know, I definitely want to talk to you guys about that because it, it felt like, to, you know, as someone who's trained in Hollywood now, that felt almost like sequel bait kind of like, uh, what is she like turning into a Godzilla? What does this mean? You know, but, and then when you say like, Oh, maybe it's just supposed to be somber and it's just radiation, radiation sickness. I guess my issue with that is even before that moment, my assumption would just be like, well, they probably all have radiation sickness, right? Didn't he just parachute into a melting Godzilla? Like they're all going to die anyways. Like, so I don't need to like the the somber element of showing she has this one little mark on her neck. Didn't make any sense to me. It only felt like I'm, I guarantee you a lot of the audience, especially a lot of the American audience seeing this, are going to look at that like a mystery box sequel setup. That's that's the good. That's going to be the assumption. So yeah, this didn't work for me. I think, like I said, I think it's an easy fix. I have one more complaint with the the climax, which I'll after everyone talks about this Mariko thing, we can get into, um, which is like a less concerning to me, but something I would also rewrite if I could. But the the Mariko one is just yeah, it, it just felt too too happy ending, too sappy for me. Yeah. Um, well, uh, Kevin, I'll, I'll pivot to you next because I know that you, we were talking about certain frustrations that we've had with certain interpretations or even insistence on interpretations of the scar. But yeah, go ahead. Uh, I, I want to hear what you think about this bait, that like this whole switcheroo with Noriko, and then you can also talk okay, about so the scar. So there's, there's, there's what Yamazaki says, and then there's what I believe is the, the truth. So what he says is that he wants to leave it off on an ending that is not entirely happy because that way it gives the impression of like the characters' lives will just continue on in some way in the audience's mind uh, and it won't feel like they're really gone or something along those lines. What I think it is is Shin Godzilla ends on this really ambiguous shot that's very confusing and leaves the audience saying, but what what's that about? And then they all go and they speculate about what the hell you just saw in that final shot. And I feel like this is very much uh, an attempt to recapture that kind of confusion of, you know, uh, an ambiguous ending because that generates buzz. That's kind of my, my read on it. Um, I have had conversations with people who insist, no, it's radiation poisoning. Obviously that's the only possible interpretation uh, and I'm just like, yeah, but radiation poisoning doesn't look like that. So <laughs> it doesn't look like a Godzilla spine. You don't, <laughs> yeah, you don't say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know that. That said, like I have a lot of, I have a lot of thoughts about uh, Noriko as a as a character. Like I think her introduction is fantastic, but very quickly after that, she turns into you know uh, a Yamato Nadeshko. She's kind of the, the idealized woman who just has infinite patience and infinite humbleness and, and, and humility and, and, and kind of like, it's like basically what Japan society expects out of yeah. a woman. So, you know, it's, you know, early on where she's like, the, the thing that kind of like irked me a bit was like when she's introduced and, uh, you know, Shikishima makes some some comment of like, oh, well, you could, you know, you know, nobody would blame you if you were a prostitute to to support yourself. And she's like, oh, I'm I'm not a I'm not a harlot or whatever. And she's in fact so not a harlot that the baby that she has isn't even her own. So it's just one of those things that like that feels like a studio <laughs> note that 
you know, somebody was like, no, no, the, the love interest has to be virginal here. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So stuff like that, just like from a feminist perspective, I'm just like, eh, I don't know. Well, like she kind of like doesn't feel as much like a fully realized character as much as like a support mechanism to the point when, when she reappears, like the first thing she says is like, Oh, your war is over now. Instead of like, I'm alive or whatever. So. Can I, can I just quickly say, you mentioned that some people have said the only possible interpretation is it's radiation sickness. I, I can disprove that by telling you that in the car ride home, my fiance was like, I think that means that she was like mutated by his atomic blast. And now she has his healing abilities. So that's the thing is like, clearly. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm sure my, I'm sure that's what Michael Doherty <laughs> walked away. <from. laughs> Um. Yeah, Lux, you go ahead. Yeah, I share. Uh, I, I share the opinion with Trev as far as um, the scene of her dying was extremely effective. Yes, it's a little bit weird that you know she just happens, uh, or that Koichi just happens to run into her there um, for you know, you know, just because it's a movie uh, contrivance. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, it, it's. The atomic shockwave is so violent that it's like, there's no way that she survives this. There, there's no way. So it's like, in that moment, you're like, she's gone. Um, and I don't have a problem with that. I, I don't think the fridging is a problem with her. And I don't really share Kevin's uh, issues as far as thinking that there's a, a problem with a feminist perspective in the character. I, I think for this time period in Japan, um, that that Yamato Nadeshko idea, the idealized woman, uh, is very much in character for her. Um, to have her be anything too far outside of the norms would have broken the immersion for me. Um, yes, she's only there. Almost like it would be too much of an attempt to make her look modern in a time period. Exactly. Which not. they do make an yeah. attempt to make her modern by having her get her own, get a job. She has she has mm -hmm. her own agency the whole time. Like she's not in a relationship with Koichi. They're just living together. Um so yes. Yeah, he friend zones her. Yeah, pretty, so pretty she quick. does have she does <laughs> have agency and she does go and get her own job and takes she takes care of getting the baby a babysitter and everything without even involving him. Um, but she is the idealized woman because that's what expect, what's expected of that society in the forties in Japan. Um, so yes, it, it just feels like that's what's expected of her and that's in line with the character. Um, could she have been more developed? Sure. But I don't know that that's really necessary for Koichi, who is the, the, the actual focus of the movie. Uh, and mm. so um, when she dies uh, and her sacrifice comes off to me as her saying, hey, Akiko needs somebody to take care of her. Uh, so she's sacrificing herself so that he can be Akiko's caretaker, um, more so than caring about him, to be honest. Um, had she not survived in the end, I would have been totally fine with it. That would have been perfect. Mm -hmm. bringing her back it's such a yamazaki moment and like you said it's such a spielberg moment which is very yamazaki as well it, he spielberg is like his favorite yeah, director so that's why of course you have your jaws scene your jurassic exactly. park scene. so it doesn't it just it it's i had the same reaction as as 
everybody else. I think as soon as he's running down the hallway, uh, which it had, you know, we, we already saw the telegram and everything. So we already had the, the breadcrumbs. We knew it was coming. Um, but as soon as he's running down the hallway to, to the room and, and he sees her there and she's like, basically fine. It's like, really for real. Are you for <laughs> real with me right now? Yamasaki, this is how you're going to end it. Um, did it tug at my heartstrings? Yes. I, I still cried, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> you cried and then you were like, but, wait, that was kind I of bullshit. Stupid, <laughs> and I didn't like it. Um, <laughs> as far as the breadcrumbs with the weird ending that we're talking about, I'm going to be the person that's going to do the Pepe Silvia board behind me. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, there, <laughs> I think that we had a breadcrumb thrown at us earlier in the movie directly after the blast where they were talking about, uh, the, and they were doing the radiation, uh, stuff and walking around the Geiger counters. There was a, a throwaway line about them gathering biological materials that were left over from Godzilla. I believe that it's possible that some of those biological materials were the victims of the blast. Um, and that this thing that's on her is, it's somehow part of Godzilla. She, like Trev was alluding to, has some sort of healing factor now, uh, but is also, it's some sort of disease. Uh, and that's why she looks so great at the end, despite being in a nuclear explosion, basically. Um so yeah, and and it's it's not that's not the last thing we see in the movie either. It's two shots next to each other. It's that shot of her neck, and then it jump cuts to the the bits of Godzilla the heart, uh, underneath the water suddenly beginning to regenerate. And it's like those two shots are together for a reason. Um, and that's that's why that's why my brain puts those things together like that. Okay, uh, Matt, do you have any feelings on uh, on on? The whole Noriko character arc and the crazy stuff on her neck? Uh, definitely thought it was radiation poisoning. And I understand why people might not think that, but I felt like that was the easiest logical conclusion to come to. I didn't really have a problem with their arc. Um, I, I kind of feel like she actually gives him closure with her last line, partially because she's asking about, you know, is, is his war finally over? Are you, yeah. Are you ready to be a father and husband? basically. Yeah. Yeah. So like I I liked her character and I get why people might have issues with it but I I honestly didn't. Okay. Um Tom, what about you? Pretty much on Lux's level with the exception of their crazy uh, <laughs> she's a superhero now thing. Um I'm not saying that's I just, what I that's not saying I, that's what I personally <laughs> believe but I I think that that's a a typical read that somebody might get out of it. Yeah, I I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm, I'm more in line with Kevin on that of, <clears throat> of someone probably within Toho being like, Hey, you know, the last movie ended on this like ambiguous shot and people are still talking about it. You know how much clickbait we <laughs> yeah. can get oh, from this? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but no, I, I, I'm on that level of, of, I legitimately felt it when she, let's just call it what it is. When she got fridged, I legitimately felt it. I felt bad because I liked that character. I, I like, like all the characters and I didn't want them to be blown up by nuclear bombs. (laughs) 
I wanted them to just live their lives and and pull themselves out of the dirt in Tokyo. And so I felt it. And then I also did feel it. I like warmed the cockles of my heart a little bit to see her still alive at the end because I didn't want her to die in the first place. But also immediately I was like, that's this bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Especially now, now the whole super healing abilities or whatever aside that whatever, but that they just like slap like a bandage on her head. I was like, come, come on. (laughs) It just doesn't make sense. She was like, can I ask, has anyone said yet? Because I guarantee if no one has, this is going, we're going to see this happen very, very soon. It's going to become a big theory online. Has anyone yet theorized that Koichi actually dies and that everything after the crash, we're seeing like his afterlife or like what flashes in his mind before he dies of like oh. his perfect, like his perfect ending actually. That the other yeah, you know that him about that the eject cheap. button working. Yes. That's going to be a fan theory. Like, Oh no, actually he did kamikaze. And like now we're seeing his heaven where he's, he gets reunited with her and it's all such a happy ending. I mean, I guess that re could be there, but we get so much leading up to it where it's it's got the eject button before they even explain it. It's just there in German. Oh, I know. And, and I'm gonna. That's and, the other thing I want to talk about too. But it's like there's there's so many <laughs> foreshadowing things about the eject button. It's like he's definitely gonna eject. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it was because Kevin is German. He was like, yeah, I could read that before <laughs> before like a half hour later when there's a big reveal. Well, and I thought. It- Japanese without subtitles, so you know it was, it was already I was in foreign language modes. <laughs> well, can um, I say then, well, yeah, Trev. Uh, my other issue. L- then? Let's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, go it for it. Issue. It's just something I thought was going to happen, and in retrospect, I think this would have been better. And I wonder if any of you had the same thought while you're watching it, because yeah, the moment I don't even, I don't read German, but the moment I saw that there, I was pretty sure I knew what that meant. <laughs> and then they have the dialogue later, or I can't remember where it falls, but there's dialogue that sets it up too, right? Where they're sitting, they're talking about how the Japanese government and military has really, you know, kept making these terrible mistakes. And they said, you know, we didn't even have ejection seats in our planes. And so it's like, they're setting up really hard, but what I assumed, mm-hmm. and I actually, again, I leaned over and said this and then I, you know, just turned out to be wrong. But my assumption was that when he told him this red lever you pull here is to arm the bombs. Mm-hmm. I thought he was, I thought that was going to be the ejector seat and he didn't know he was going to eject. Yeah, and that's that was going to be a thing too. like here where he went off pre- preparing to die, and then he was going to eject because that guy kind of was like, "Well, I need him. He he will complete the mission if he thinks he's going to die, but I don't think he should die. I think as long as he goes into this mission, then that'll be his like character arc. And as he ejects, he'll he'll like forgive himself because he'll realize this guy was mad at him and everything. And I think that would have worked better. I think it would have worked better thematically, mm-hmm. and I also think it would work better on rewatch because by removing that, like, if the movie was telling me that he doesn't know he's going to eject, then he does. That's more compelling to me on rewatches than the movie lying to you at the end, essentially. And that's what it's doing. This is like a, a screenplay trick that I always kind of hate because it only works one time. And then every time you watch the movie subsequently, you realize that you're kind of being lied to, right? Like, like you're, the movie is telling you in its cinematic language, he's getting ready to do the kamikaze thing. And it's like, Haha, no, we're just kidding. We're going to flash back now and show you how he knew this whole time that he was going to eject. And it's like, no, okay, but like... Now the movie's just playing with me. So I, I actually prefer my version where he's almost tricked into doing it. And I think it still could have had the same resolution to where he realizes, oh, okay, I, I life is worth living. Um, but I just I, I just thought that would have worked better. And it sounds like some, I mean, I heard someone else agree that that's what they thought was going to happen. But. Well, that, that scene is also in the Eternal Zero. So that's part of the problem. 
Yeah. Yeah, which is ya- another Yamazaki movie. Yeah, there's similar thi- things mm. there. Um, my thing with that, because we, we really haven't talked much about, the only other, I guess, big-ish character we haven't really talked about is the mechanic, well, I guess the, the babysitter, but also the mechanic, Takibana. Um, there's no real reason why it had to be him, you know? So... It's not really state like they even ask like why does it have to be this guy to fix this plane? Can't we just find any mechanic? And he's he even says like it just has to be him. Like yeah, so, it has to be him. It has to what be is, him um, conveniently narratively because he needs that guy to forgive him. Yeah, yeah, right. But like uh, uh, aside from just because the 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 story wants it to be like, is there like an actual reason it has to be him more than anyone else? I thought that could have been maybe like elaborated on a little bit. I don't know how anyone else, I don't know. It's not like I a mean, huge complaint. Of, this is more I or less a nitpick. Like but. He needs it to be him because he, at that time he picks him, he does think he's going to do the kamikaze mission and he wants right. that guy to know because in his head, it's like, that's still his mm. forgiveness is like letting this person realize he's making yeah. up what he did before. The, the read yeah. that I, I, I like, I like that. Uh, the that read reason. that I had on it was that he needs not just him there for the forgiveness aspect, but he needs somebody there he can trust who knows that he is going to kamikaze at the end and isn't going to stop him from doing it. Like, yes, he's he's he gives him an out, but he needs somebody like who's he's going to let him actually do it. Um, as opposed to the rest of the people in the cast, because we get the big, we have that big speech about valuing life, and we want this whole mission to go on uh, without anybody dying. Uh, so Koichi is very alone in his determination to to end his own life uh, here, um, and he needs somebody else who is going to share that. And he remembers that this is the person who's probably most likely going to be okay with him doing that and would hide it from everybody else and let him do it. Um, my fix for the whole issue is different from Trevor's because I, I don't like the idea of him pulling the lever, not knowing that he's going to eject. Uh, I think that takes away the agency and it kind of ruins the end of his character arc. Um, I think the real fix for it is to have less foreshadowing. I think the only foreshadowing we needed for it was the big speech that we, we mentioned uh, where Noda uh, Hidetaka Yoshioka's character is going on about how we we've been too cavalier with, uh, with lives uh, during war uh, and mentions that the planes didn't even have ejector seats in them uh, for the pilots. That's the only line we needed. That's the only breadcrumb we really needed for it, I think. Uh, everything else, as far as, like, there's multiple establishing shots for it. From him, like, staring into the cockpit for a while, like, pointing something out and looking at something. Uh, and then the explanation scene that we're talking about with both the different, like, pulling the lever. And then they zoom out and you see him. And I also have this I need to show you. And where he goes to look at, you know, the R button in German that says eject on it. Um we don't need any of that. And we didn't even need the button to have eject on it. I think all we needed was the one line. And then when he does survive, it would have been a much more emotional moment uh, to, to bring a climax to his character. Or really, you could even just have a scene there, like a brief scene where Takibana tells them, well, you know, there's an ejector seat in here. And they're both like, yeah, but we know I'm not going to use it. Right. And then, yeah, it's just that like, could have worked too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he, and then, then it plays more like a game time decision where in the moment he decides to, and then, and then I'm not falling into my, that same problem. I complained where I feel like the movie's lying to me. 
I'm very with Lux on this. I think I would, you know, Kevin saw this movie before us and we, a few of us directly messaged Kevin and said, please, dear God, I, I have to know this. I have to be prepared for this going into this movie, because if I find out about this in the movie, I might audibly groan or <laughs> swear at the movie or something. Does this guy kill himself? Does he does he kill himself for the glory of Japan to 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 take out Godzilla? Does that happen in this movie? Because if that had happened, I would have like shit my pants in the theaters, frankly. <laughs> um, and and you know, Kevin told us of, he gave us a very good explanation. He's like basically like, no, don't worry about it. So okay, I would have hated even the idea that he wanted to kill himself, and it, just that the other dude lied to him about which lever to push. I I really don't like that. I just think the foreshadowing was a step too far or uh, like Lux mentioned, maybe not a step far enough, right? Either, either have way less of the foreshadowing or have a moment where he's like, Hey, this is the ejector button, you know? And the guy goes, yeah, I'm not going to use it. And then that, that also makes, that also makes that moment at the end where, uh, Takibana is, is happy that he pulled, the ejector button kind of hit a little bit more like, Oh, I didn't think he was going to, he decided to, you know, that, that kind of thing of like, like I forgive him and he forgives himself. And we both get that here. I just, I think that would make it all work a little bit better. So it's, it's more just a little thing with like the foreshadowing slash not setting it up enough or something, but I don't want this guy to, to want to kill himself. Um, that would just bring up a lot of icky things for me with, uh, with like the IJA and, and kamikaze pilots and, uh, and that kind of messaging. And then I also, I really totally agree. I think Lux is dead on when they said that, um, the reason why Koichi wants him there is because he wants someone who is willing to what he thinks at the time is, is, complete his kamikaze mission. And that's what he wants someone who will, cause he goes, what does he tell him? He says like, I've swapped out this, I've swapped out this and I've swapped out your full tank of fuel in order to allow you to carry this bomb because this bomb weighs an additional, however much. So we had to take all this other stuff out. So you like, this is a one way trip. Koichi needs someone willing to do that for him because if it's any other mechanic, they'll be like, no, that's not that. That's not what Noba told me to do. He told me to make a exactly. plane fly. Mm-hmm. So all very so good I points. Think the, I think the, um, the usage of that character makes sense. I think it's like the actual mentality of Koichi heading into that finale. All it all works for me. It's just a little, Either do it way less or push it that step further to where Takibana thinks he is going to like ignore the eject button and he, and he finds out. But I, I also really like, you know, I think the reason it'll, it'll hold up for me on rewatches is because, you know, none of the other characters know that he's 
going to pull an eject button when he does it. And I care about those characters mm-hmm. and their like mental state. And they all think that he's, they're all nervous about him getting into a plane at all. Cause they want him to live. Yeah. <laughs> like we can't trust so, this guy. In a plane. So that's why I think it'll still work for me is cause all the other characters don't know any of this. So it, it's not the best handled, but it is, I think fine. Yeah, I think he okay. the only person who even knew about him, his plan to fly into the mouth and blow him up was Tachibana. So it, it makes sense for everyone at the end when you have that big shot and it goes silent for like 20, 30 seconds, which is a, a brilliant idea. Uh, in that moment, every, very yeah, last Jedi. Like, oh shit, this, this is it. Uh, and it's panning across all the characters and you think, you know, they are all fucked. Um, and then they all turn around, they hear the plane and, and they see the plane coming in. They didn't know that was going to happen because they thought his part in the mission was already done. So it's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think all of that was very, uh, intentional, um, and just could have been done a little bit better. How appropriate that it's okay. like last Jedi, because the moment where all the tugboats show up is like rise of Skywalker. Yeah, oh, it is. God. It? <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, you, you read my mind. Um, yeah, if anyone, <laughs> Yeah, and actually, Unless, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a, down the alley looks like Princess Leia flying in The Last Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Anyone have any last words on uh, uh, Mechanic Takibana and his purpose at the end? Nope. All right. So, uh, yeah, no. Movie. Yeah. Yeah, perfect segue into this, uh, what Tom has called the on your left <laughs> sequence. Um, so Tom, I'll, I'll, I mean, the floor yeah, is yours so on this one. It, this is your, this is your baby. Right? So we got the, my, my biggest complaints, the music, uh, Noriko's ultimate fate and then kid. First of all, just the, the whole, the, the character himself, like, like Trev said, that's just a well-worn trope. I'm just a little tired of like the overeager kid willing to like run into battle and then you get to the scene where Noba says, you know, everyone lives. That's, that's like, we, you know what it's the, apparently it's a doctor who quote, right? Just this once everyone lives or something. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't doctor who. So there are three of you though here who do, but yes, that is you know, the it's the, doctor. it's, you get Noba has that quote where, or that speech where he basically says like, like people need to live. And so then it, him and Captain walk away and Kid is like, I want to be there too. And they're like, no, you need to take care and shepherd in the future of the country, which already gets on a little bit shaky, like nationalistic, patriotic ground for me. Well, yeah, well themes, thematic lead. stuff is yeah, our next but, big thing. Yeah. But then you get Kid, you know shows up in this big hero moment explicitly breaking their idea of like stay behind so that everyone lives and it is just so tropey and such a like what year is this 2019 like japan living their best 2019 in movies life over here next year is going to be rough for them by the way and then it's 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 on your left it's portals it's it's we're not alone it's it's that just that moment seems gone and immediately after any movie did it after endgame everyone was like this is just no and and then (laughs) on top of that just they are immediately hooked up (laughs) 
That's that's what I was going to point out. That's my biggest problem. Is like, I do that, like they don't show the and, three hours it takes to hook all those tugboats up. And the whole the whole thing was supposed to be, we need to plummet him fast and then raise him fast because because it's like because the one guy goes, he's a marine animal. Won't he just adjust to the pressure? And and uh, Noba is like, no, because whales, whatever, everything takes a long time to submerge and then come back up. Nothing can handle that we know of. Nothing can handle the, the combined pressure of a mile and a half of water slamming into it in 15 seconds and then slamming off of it in 15 seconds. But they just give him like hours to come back to the surface. (laughs) That that very brief sidebar that does remind me a thing I liked about uh, how Godzilla like before he shows up. There's the dead fish. I liked that the dead fish actually have like their organs like coming out of their mouths because that's like what actually happens, and it's kind of a foreshadowing of like that piece of the the plan. But yes, um, yeah, I, I mean it's a it's another Deus ex machina moment, you know that is you know, contrived, just like Koichi finding her in Ginza. I, I wonder how much of it is, I mean, with, with that actor, he's built third. Um, like if it's just kind of the popularity associated with him, something like that, like, um, he is incidentally 33 yeah, years old. So he's a very old kid. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I don't know. It sounds like, I mean, is there any, does anyone disagree that that's like kind of a, you know, a very convenient bit of writing? No, like I said, like the, the, the thing that bothered me about it was the, the cut there to where they're just suddenly all hooked up. But I'm like, well, this is silly now. Like you're, I mean, and also it's like such a, it's that what they're doing is like so not a danger to them. That's almost like, why did they not think of that in the first place? And why were they like, you can't come and do this thing. It's like, well, it's actually fine. You, it's, they're just tugboats you know, on the boat. It doesn't matter. But the time cut was the worst part for me. I, I think yeah. at that point, you know, um, is already submerged, so he's not going to damage them uh, until he comes back up. And they did make it clear that, like, when he chews through the, the thing that's raising him, it's when he's less than halfway up. So it would do more damage on the on the ascent the second time than it did on the first time. I, kid doesn't bother me mainly. I get the trope. But like, if you think about people that missed out on war during that time, like actually the sentiment of like, hey, I didn't get to go to war, but somebody else did. That's a very real sentiment. If you yeah. go back and you you read interviews with, with soldiers and stuff, so like I yeah for the time period, no, that that doesn't really bother me. I do think that yeah, thematically it's not ideal, but I think they were looking for a way to get the tugboats in, and then they decided that they weren't yeah. going to show any of that. They were just going to show it afterwards. Um, well, yeah, I mean, now seems like a good segue into just kind of, I guess, the final big chunk of this, which is, uh, just thematic things and things, like, we talked about there's things, there's subtext, there's things going on in the background. At the end of the day, this is a movie about Koichi, but, um, uh, for a lot of us, you know, I know Tom and, uh, Tom and Kevin, I think, are the only two here that have watched every Yamazaki movie. Me and Lux have watched most of them. Uh, Matt has seen a, a handful. If he had, I, I said this earlier, if he has a weakness, it's kind of thematic consistency. Um, 
Uh, and I think um, Kid is kind of an example of that. Um, Yamazaki very much likes to kind of have eat, have his cake and eat it too. You know, I think the best example of that that's easiest to bring up is Eternal Zero, where there's like two hours of this movie telling you about how futile kamikaze are and how, you know, they're, you know, more or less brainwashed into dying for their country. And then that ends on a note that's sort of more or less making us root for this guy to carry out a kamikaze mission which he does um so uh on that note you know you do have kid who is this you know guy who's being told the whole movie like hey you didn't see combat that's good you should be proud of it like you don't want this and you know to kind of undercut that with him going into battle even you know yeah he's on these tugboats but kind of giving him that hero moment kind of takes that back a little bit. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's also certain things that aren't so much, um, you know, in, you know, another, the other big inconsistency is, um, you know, you can, you can look at this. Um, and I, I think, you know, we're coming at this from an American point of view. Um, but you know, if I, I think let's acknowledge the cultural divide, um, you know, it, this is a movie that I think more Japanese people are kind of seeing some more right wing undercurrents, dog whistles, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, the movie isn't getting released in China, in uh, Thailand, in Korea. Um, and I, I think it's worth talking about maybe why that might be. Um, obviously, those are countries where Japan did some pretty messed up stuff in World War II. Um, and uh but beyond that i mean there there is there's a conservative streak to yamazaki's work that i think does worm its way in here i mean um you know uh kind of uh, it it treats the american occupation very flippantly i mean um we don't see a single american gi on the streets i mean in real life in this time there was americans everywhere um and so the intentional uh, uh, removal of the occupation is is a little, it's a weird decision. On that note, um, you know, kind of tying into a lot of the, the right-wing, more LDP talking points, you know, this movie, is, the last act of this movie is almost a, in a similar note to Shin Godzilla, saying, you know, we don't need America, we don't need any help from anybody. Um, and, you know, in fact, we, 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 we can show in that we can have weapons independently. Um, you know, I almost wonder how much of that is like, you know, for example, during the civil rights movement, you know, a lot of Hollywood studios were, instead of addressing the issues directly, they would set a story in the old South or whatever, where they can kind of do it without doing it. And so those are just kind of some of the thoughts I've had. Um, you know, I, I, I think, uh when you when you look at you know the idea that hey japan can be sufficient and have um more or less a military um but the, you know i also think you know having all every character practically being ex military I, I i think that is probably why they're being a little sensitive as to which other Asian countries to release this in. Um, so I don't know. I, I know what I just said. There's probably a lot to unpack, and um, I'm, I'm 
kind of interested where everyone else, you know, if anyone has any opinions at all or how strongly anyone might feel about any of this. Um, like I said, at the end of the day, this is Koichi's story, but there's a certain amount of um, uh, murkiness to the way, um, you know, it denounces war, but then at the end it's like, well, here's a montage of everyone smiling and getting ready for battle, and um, it's sort of like, you know, the generation that lost the war, it's kind of giving them a fictional um, attempt to redeem themselves by fighting another war. Granted, it's with a giant radioactive lizard, but I I don't know, I, I think some of that is, is maybe worth, worth discussing. It's certainly a lot of choices that are made. Um, so I don't know, I, everything I said and more, if anyone feels like throwing any, anything in or extrapolating or whatever. I definitely don't appreciate the subtext. I mean, uh, like you mentioned, Tom uh, and, and I recently with you watched a lot of Yamazaki. Tom finished it all. I, I didn't quite reach the finish line, but I got close. Um, but we did get our experiences with... Uh, the Eternal Zero, and we were very scared going into this movie that we were going to get something closer to that, which Tom mentioned we, we needed Kevin to kind of ease our minds about before we went into this movie, because we would have absolutely, uh, our heads would have exploded if it, if it went that way. <laughs> um, so gladly it doesn't go that way. Um, and honestly, I don't think the soft nationalism in the subtext that we see here is anything that ultimately detracts from this being a great movie. So I, I don't, oh, no, I, so no. I'm, I'm, I do want to say that I am in a way sort of nitpicking these things only because I am a leftist. Um, and I recognize them as a leftist. Um, and I think Kevin might actually mention some things too, to do with the, uh, with the Shinden fighter and the Shinden, specifically being chosen as the plane um, that they use in the end there. Um, I'm not going to get into it because I'll let Kevin get into why the Shinden was probably chosen. I'll I'll Um, let you get into that because I'm not sure exactly where you're going with that. uh, It's it's in some very weird territory for me because uh, they they say... Well, that that plane was specifically made to... combat what is it b is it b29 bombers specifically made to combat bombers which would have been it's the movie almost saying hey yes we're, we're fighting another war we're giving everybody a chance to fight the war they would have fought had there been a land war and not nuclear bombs um and had that happened the shinden would have been the fighter that they would have used to stop the fire bombings and the nuclear bombs and all of that stuff. Uh, that's some really weird messaging for me personally. Um, just being a, a, a you know an, an airplane nerd, um, and uh, yeah, it's that's it, it, yes, it could be me reading way too far into it. And I know that that's definitely probably the case uh, because yes, it is. I, I believe chosen because it just looks cool. It's a rear, it's a it's a rear wing aircraft. Uh, with uh, with props on the back, uh, with canards in the front, it makes it very reminiscent of stuff you might see back in Showa era movies, like a, a really cool uh, AG Superea type thing that's military but not um, it's futuristic looking. But this is an actual real fighter. This thing existed in real life, so it, it toes a weird line for me. Um, 
As far as that scene um, you mentioned, the 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 one the one um the one ship the you you keys Yes, that was that. That actually was a world of uh, like an actual World War Two, you know, battleship. But but I mean that. But that's the thing is like they're able to win this war with the equipment they had during the war with with you know some of those battleships right. and, and stuff. Um, and the, the scene that you mentioned is another one that really stuck with me. Is one I didn't like was the scene where it has the uh, our, our our primary minesweeper boat crew, uh, Noda and the captain, and them. They're watching everybody prepare the ships to go off for this final mission, and they're noting how everyone has a smile on their face, um, and how everyone's very happy to be doing this, despite you know the possibility that this could be like you know the last thing they do, or you know that they're going off to war basically uh, to to defend their country. I don't like that. Uh, that scene made me uncomfortable. Um, and then a, th- a third thing I do want to point out, which is one that it's it's soft nationalism that people probably wouldn't pick up on, but I also picked up on, and it is present in a movie that I think doesn't have as many issues as this, and I actually like, which is the Great War of Archimedes. Uh, it seeps into mm-hmm. that movie the same way it seeps into this one yeah. with your My Pillow guy uh, and all of them. Uh, this sort of uh, reliance on private industry and. and uh, uh, the the ingenuity of uh, of private individuals to overcome uh, problems of the past and and bring Japan into a new future um, it, that has a very dog whistly tie to it when it comes to uh, the the very the, the way that everything actually turns out with Japan going forward in the future with how capitalism took over and everything. Uh, became very oligarchical, um, and, and conservatism really dug its 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 nails into them uh, via capitalism. Uh, so uh, that 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 this this subtext of private industry being what ultimately uh, defeats Godzilla, it, it's also a, a thing that leaves a kind of bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, you you brought up uh, the Great War of Archimedes, which is a really uh, good movie. I really like that movie. that movie. Great film. But yeah, that that's another example where it's like that movie's like two hours of why building the the famous battleship Yamato, um, like why it was dumb, why it was a bad idea, and like that is you know this battleship that you know b- super expensive, all the bells and whistles, mo- most modern battleship ever, and like it just got like crushed <laughs> in the war, and and that that whole thing is like oh questioning yeah this is why building this thing is dumb and then i guess spoiler alert still go watch the movie because it really is good but at the end it's like the twist is like oh we're making this battleship shitty on purpose and it's like wait it's a fictional scenario and it's like well you're using a fictional scenario to kind of admit that the imperial's uh biggest embarrassment was oh it's actually all on purpose we we you know so stuff like that is where like i think he's just he really plays both sides and you get into some really thematic murkiness there's also um, the, the murkiness yeah, of um everybody who's involved in the military here in this movie all the ex-military people are only ex-navy we're not we're not involving mm-hmm. any ex-army people because that would definitely be towing a line <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it. This is my last like. I mean, I think a lot of it for me came through the character of of Kid, uh, but 
but this is this is the other thing and i was i was expecting some of this because i've now seen every movie takashi yamazaki has made and this is super super common for this guy he really likes to have it both ways this very much his his outlook and his stance very much reminds me of a lot of i know there's a cultural divide and it's not exactly the same but it reminds me of a lot of american conservatism where you get to say, or you say, you know, war is bad, uh, human life is important, but in order to protect that human life, we need to have a strong military and people who are willing to fight for this country and willing to die for this country. And, you know, war is bad, but let's make sure in a world where war exists, we're the best damn warmongers in the world. Um, and that is a lot of what this movie is doing. That's a lot of what Takashi Yamazaki does. That's that's his. That's one of his proclivities, is to, like everyone has mentioned. I mean, the Eternal Zero spends like most of its running time talking about how the Kamikaze missions were futile, and then at the end, you're supposed to be rooting for a guy to complete one. Uh, there's, it doesn't help that that that's based on a book written by an actual like atrocity denying super right wing weirdo (laughs) yes maniac he is legitimately Um, a maniac and and you know there's also that scene in the movie too where the kid goes out to to dinner with his friends and they're like yeah kamikazes were dumb and he's like how dare you (laughs) like where is this coming from like you just learned how they're dumb (laughs) um but so it's it's that it's that support the troops, not the war kind of kind of mentality of Yamazaki, and and it it definitely rears its head here, as as mentioned, the scene where everyone is you know, and they the worst part is that they call specific attention to it, you know, look how happy everyone is this time to be preparing for war, and it's like you, <laughs> that that just it just rubs you the wrong way, and then when when your only character in the movie who is kind of more gung ho about being involved in the, the more military aspects of this, then gets very explicitly told don't show up and then shows up. And the movie wants you to treat it like a hero moment. And nobody in the, you know, the, even the captain doesn't even like jokingly chide him and be like, I thought I told you not to show up kid. Everyone just treats it like this great moment of like, wow, way to way to not listen to us, way to know better. That part gets like it's it's murky, right? You can and it's I'm sure Mm -hmm. there's people who are listening to this right now going, I can't stand these woke leftists, you know, being (laughs) all being all babies about this stuff. You're reading with their pink Godzilla and. To an extent, I'm sure a lot of us are reading a little bit too much into it because I don't know for sure what, like, I think Lux makes a great point about the, uh, I don't know the name of that plane anymore. The Shinden. Shinden. I think, I think you've made a really great point about the use of that plane, but I could also very easily just see it being a thing that Yamazaki doing some research in into all this period piece stuff he's done over the years has kind of always just wanted to include in one of these movies. Cause it looks cool. Yeah. It looks um, cool. but <clears throat> when you stack up the totality of this guy's career uh, and some of the people he's worked with and some of the people he has uh, had previously 
good things to say about, including the the author of that book, The Eternal Zero. It all and and I think he has distanced himself from that a little bit as that guy has gone further and further off the deep end. But it all well, he made another movie based on another yeah, book he did. by him. Um, but but it all starts to paint this picture of like these are these are this isn't people reading into it too much. This is this guy's views seeping well, into his work, which the, I think I think happens the, the, with everyone. I think every movie, pretty much every movie or everything that someone makes, their views on things start to seep into it a little bit. And that's, I am with Lux in that I can forgive it. And the reason for me is that, is oh, that yeah. it's There's, not the point of the movie. The point of the movie Right. It's a great movie exactly. regardless. We're just we're this is just stuff. We're a podcast. Part of what we do is look at subtext yeah. and and author to intent. Me, say for me, it's not the point of the movie. The point is the character study and the character of Koichi. Yes. And so this stuff yes. kind of existing in the background doesn't de- detract from it. It's like it's like RoboCop or something where there's a lot of really bad stuff in the subtext of that movie, but uh the point is the character. And also blowing shit up. <laughs> I I really wonder how much of it is just uh, an anti-government stance, not necessarily an anti-war stance as much as an anti-government stance. And when a war is conducted by private individuals, it's it's okay um, because there's so mm. much of it that's like when when that's that's like a very libertarian almost point I of mean, view. There's so much of, of this where it's um, coming across of like. They'll talk about the war was bad, but then why was the war bad? Well, well, the government wasn't, you know, arming our, our armoring our tanks, or the government wasn't, you know, giving us your seats. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, at, at the end, when it's it's the civilian tugboats that show up in the big hero moment to save the battleships, right? You know, it's, it's one of those like, yeah, it's it's the uh, it's it's the, it's the private in- industry, and and you know, because they're all choosing to do this, then it's uh, as opposed to being ordered to, then it's uh, that's that's why it's and they they have multiple times in the movie where they kind of like say like, well, war is bad, but somebody's got to do it, and you know, it's kind of... yeah, yeah, that's a great angle. Um, uh, no, I, that that's a really good perspective too. Yeah, I mean the, the the two the two thoughts I wanted to share before we you know I, I hear from Trev and 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 Matt. Um, to get back to a couple things, one is just, I guess, a little bit of a reiteration of what I was saying earlier about, you know, this movie isn't being released in certain countries. Um, but this is definitely where if, you, if you're a Korean or even a left-leaning Japanese, you're probably going to be a little bit more tuned in and sensitive to this than we are. Um, like, for ex- the example I'll give, and I, I won't say who told me this, where I heard it, whatever, but I basically heard secondhand... Um, the, the, the first thing I heard from anyone that had seen this movie, it was, I'll, I'll say third hand. Um, but the source of that, this third hand information, it was, it was a Toho, uh, someone who had worked with Toho on a lot of things who had a chance to see it over the summer. And he said it was quote unquote, right wing garbage. Um, and that, so the, being someone in Japan, you're probably going to look at this a little differently, and you're probably going to be able to pick up on some of this stuff better than we are. Just like, you know, I mean, I don't know, someone in Japan might watch a movie like, I'm just giving an, an extreme example, but like American Sniper. And maybe not real, really get why we would look at it like, oh, there's some 
weird stuff in here. Um, but the other point, the other thing, the other thing I wanted to mention, um, just because I don't know how many people listening might be familiar, was uh, Lux used the term several times, soft nationalism. Um, to kind of give a, a quick explanation of what that means, it's basically a piece of media that has at least some sort of propaganda baked into it, and uh, the 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 soft is because it's kind of meant meant to go down smooth. It's like you know, okay, if you make something that's criticizing war, you can put forward other ideas that are more nationalistic. And make it go down smooth because, you know, the most effective propaganda is the stuff that the person watching it doesn't realize is propaganda. And, and so that's where the soft comes in. I just, I just felt like maybe we should say what that term means because it was used a few times. Um, but those, those are kind of the, the two thoughts, just, you know, being sensitive to how other Asian cultures, including Japanese, might see it. I did not have the same, I guess, read on on this so much i kind of thought like kid's character yeah that's like, okay kid's character was uh just there for the tugboats like it was it was a it was sort of a means to an end i didn't take really didn't take any more than that i felt the the movie was fairly straightforward anti-war and i thought there was a distinction made between the civilians and the people who were military and it's kind of like well hey if you were you put yourself in their shoes you were previously in the military. This monster shows up. You have decommissioned boats, which, by the way, they don't have weapons on them. They've been decommissioned. So they have to figure out a way to get them out there. And like, well, I guess I'm going to have to do this because nobody else can. So it was like they're, they're, they're volunteering for something because nobody else can do it. It wasn't like they were conscripted. And so I, I didn't really read it that same way, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I'm oblivious to it, but it, it seemed to be fairly straightforward anti-war and the fact that like one of the things about um, main character is once he ejects from the plane, they show the flashback. Right. And his um, mechanic tells him to live. I think that's a really important moment because they're Mm -hmm. trying to show the value in life as opposed to throwing your life away for the war. So like, that's how I took it. Um, Mm -hmm. I really just kind of took it for what it said on surface level. So, I'm kind of I'm kind of with Matt that like see this is complicated for me to talk about because I'm also uh, a well no I'm also a ble- I'm like a bleeding heart leftist but one that admittedly loves a lot of movies with very conservative themes <laughs> and like you're the you're the one that's always telling me Rambo three is actually good, good. and I'm like uh, you know what else is a good movie Red Dawn <laughs> you know what else is a good movie Dirty Harry like you know what else is a good movie every '80s yeah. action movie like I don't like this stuff doesn't bother me if the movie sure. is entertaining and we've we've had this discussion before even about previous Godzilla movies where. The soft nationalism you're talking about and stuff, I've always been, you know, I, I've, I don't want to say defended it before, but I've always been like, kind of like, I don't think it bothers me that much. It's, it's really tough to make a Godzilla movie that's not thematically going to be about the civilians and the industries coming together to defeat this giant monster. <laughs> you know, so sometimes I'm like, it's just a trope of the of the genre. I'm kind of with Matt that I'm trying. Mm-hmm. So I went into this, I do not know the filmmaker like you guys do, but from just the, the what I gleaned from hearing you guys talk about them, I knew there was a concern on your part about this being a right-wing movie. So I went in with that in mind, where I was like, well, I'm going to kind of try to pay attention to this and see if I think it's really right-wing. So we've had this discussion about previous um, movies in this genre or just previous films we've talked about, even Hollywood movies. And I'm with Matt in that, again, maybe this is service level, but I'm telling you how I think an average audience is going to see it more. And I think the movie is doing the kind of the safest version of this possible and the most like obvious version possible, mm-hmm. saying war is bad. 
Um, but the civilians didn't ask for the war. And when you guys talk about it, even at the end where yeah. everyone's like happy to be going to war, I, it's not that I think they're happy to be going to war. It's that they're doing something that means something. It's like that. It's just, it's old school storytelling. It's like the community has to come together to solve an issue. And even what they're fighting, right? As I said earlier, if, if you look at Godzilla as thematically an extension of the war, right? What the community is coming together to finally get rid of is the last kind of remnant of the war, right? He was created by the bomb. Mm -hmm. It's the bomb that brought him there. And now they are coming together to, to put an end to this. And even like when, when Lux said the thing about like, you know, private industry with the balloon man, (laughs) you know, the balloon company coming together. (laughs) Their plan is not what saves the day. Their plan actually fails. It's, it's, it, it all comes down to Koichi at the end. So, yeah, I don't know. It didn't it didn't bother me. I felt like this was like the most obvious, safe, like war is bad, but sometimes it is necessary to fight against something. And, and maybe I'll have my leftist card removed for this, but I, I kind of agree with that sentiment to a certain degree. Um, so it, How dare it, you? it didn't bother me. There was nothing about this way that I found gross or disgusting. But like as I said, I also know I haven't studied all this history as, as much as maybe some of you. And it's, you know, I don't know as much about the filmmaker. So I could be like, I could be a little I mean, blind that, to it. That, that but, doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that doesn't me ma- make your take any less yeah. valid than anyone else, you know. I mean, all well, I mean, some of us are more have like we have different takes on this, and that's great. That means we're having a really good discussion, and I, I like I want to encourage differing viewpoints on this. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I like, if we're gonna agree that the movie's awesome, we gotta disagree yeah, on I, I really something. Felt like it and, and, I thought there was enough dialogue in the way how they were like, man, we as the people were really like kind of fucked over by the government, you know. And that's when I was yeah. thinking it was gonna be a right wing movie because of some of what you guys said, and every time they said that, I was kind of like, hmm, that doesn't seem like a very right wing sentence to me so yeah and it, it, the speech that noda gives like look no yeah. one's dying like it's not it, it, it nobody is dying it's just not happening like that is a that that's a great scene um well yeah trev i mean i don't know just out of curiosity just because i mean predictably this is probably where american audiences are probably having the most confusion or biggest question mark in terms of this subject um where i mean do you have any opinion on on just the lack of american occupational presence no that's in this movie when i hear you talk when i hear you say like that's strange i get where you're coming from but i also like again i just kind of don't care with like historical tinkering you know we just uh we just were mentioned mm-hmm. doctor who earlier and the most recent doctor who special uh, had isaac newton in it and they had an indian actor play him and everyone's like freaking out and i'm kind of like oh, yeah. who, who cares <laughs> <laughs> you know and like and even here i'm like i i guess maybe there's a weird element to it but like if if, if removing them is also ridley scott's been ranting about yeah. historical accuracy for the and last I'm two months kind of on the side of ridley <laughs> also, scott where yeah. he's like who gives a crap if it makes the movie more entertaining and if they felt like having any of the american occupation would just get in the way of the narrative then i say like it's probably fine to leave it out so again maybe that's a bad thing for me to say mm-hmm. but that's kind of how i feel i don't i don't maybe, need american movie no i think maybe, like, maybe they they like left out the americans because all the the gaijin actors can't actually act <laughs> yeah. Well, 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 that's, fair. <laughs> <laughs> that's very fair. Well, my my thought was maybe um if they portray the American occupational forces 
too positively. Maybe there's Japanese that might not react well to that. And if they portray, I don't know, if they did include it and they were like, you know, awful, then Americans who, you know, Toho knows that this is a global property. They still want Americans to go see it and enjoy it. You know, maybe they thought, okay, that's too much for the international market. So I don't know, maybe, maybe it could have just been something as easy as that is like, you know, hey, if there's no way this is going to be well received, let's just not or deal with or it. Or maybe right? they just wanted you to know. tell a story about Japanese people coming together to beat this monster. And again, maybe I'm a bad right. leftist for saying that, but I don't have a problem with that necessarily. See, I, sure. I, 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 yeah, I think, and I like, think uh, for me, it, it ahead, more is like I'm reading more into it because of having watched Yamazaki. We've seen exactly. some, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and, and, you know, on top of that, I, I think even if I hadn't seen a whole bunch of Yamazaki movies, I'd still feel a little bit of muddling and 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 mishandling of the themes. Even if, like, I'm I'm I don't want to say accusing. I think accusing is kind of the wrong is is too accusatory a word. But it, you know, I'm I'm calling Yamazaki to the mat a little bit on letting his libertarianism sneak through this movie. Um. But I still would think, like, boy, you 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 fumbled something there with kid and with with having characters specifically tell him not to get involved, and then he gets involved, and everyone's just peachy thrilled to the gills about it. There's still some fumbling of it, and I think getting to the the American occupation forces, one of the things, one of the reasons why that just feels a little off is because, like like Bird mentioned. Like ninety five percent of this movie, maybe more, is almost exclusively like through Koichi's point of view. Yeah, and the it's of almost times like that. It gets outside of his point of view and gets more omniscient. Are to specifically acknowledge that like the Americans aren't going to help at all, and that almost feels like because there is a moment later in the movie where Noba says. Like during their their meeting, he says, "Like the Americans won't help because of U.S. Soviet tensions." The few parts where the movie gets more omniscient and tells us these couple of things almost feels like a studio producer was shown a rough cut of the movie, and someone said, "Hey, you need to have this part about no Americans earlier," because I was wondering, and uh... and it was just kind of tacked in there, and so you get kind of an awkward edit with it. And that's that's even more just my little mm. mini gripe with it is like I noticed that I was like that's a weird like kind of awkward little moment in the movie there. Uh, so so there's something that uh, Matt Alt actually pointed out was that the 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 Douglas MacArthur sequence that was that that's like listed separately in the credits as being directed by Michael Arias, uh, you know the the director of Pecan Concrete. So yeah, like literally Yamazaki did not direct that sequence. Hmm. That helps explain why it feels out of place. <laughs> I think if, if I was um, going to go back in time and and tell Yamazaki how to fix this whole American issue and keep it more in line with Godzilla franchise in the past, because I, I, I disagree with what Trevor said about how all of these movies have to end up with all the Japanese people banding together to, to, to destroy the monster. That's not exactly how they're depicted in the old movies. It's, it's always 
he's always uh honda at least was always depicting a a future sort of element where it's more of an international well yeah he had a very roddenberry international community and a humanist uh perspective so it's more of an international effort to take down Godzilla. it is true though once you get into the heisei and millennium movies it really is like oh i don't know about that finally our time has come to put this technology to the final test (laughs) (laughs) well i mean up until they established g-force and stuff, and then in, in certain Millennium movies, they it really yeah, is I like, mean, okay, I, it's, I, it's, it's Japan. My, my you know? fix would have been to at least acknowledge that the Americans are definitely there if the, the issue is going to be people uh, being mad about the Americans being seen as heroes. Um, I think what should have happened and what would have been historically accurate for that time, uh, as much so as saying that there's uh, U.S.-Soviet uh, relations, keeping them from uh, being involved, um, have the people from the American military that are there have the order not to be involved, but some of them decide on their own to go AWOL and help the Japanese. And well, that would I think be cool. That would have but... been more in line with what Honda would have done with a story like this. Uh, but that's not what we get, obviously. I mean, I guess I, I, I mean, I know you mean about how, you know, typically we've seen more international efforts and I don't know, maybe it's like weird for me to say, but I kind of feel like I don't need to see Americans shoved into this. Like, I, like, like when you, like you say like, oh, in the Honda movies, there'd be more of an international coalition. Yes. But also narratively, isn't it slightly more intriguing when you've been left alone and no one is helping you and you're left to your own devices? I think that's maybe part of the element too. On a storytelling level, yeah. it's more compelling to say, we're not getting this assistance. We are, out, we are by ourselves. There's only us in this boardroom. Can we come up with a plan that works? So I think that's like oh, another reason where I just narratively, I don't mind that there's not multiple countries working together to solve this problem. I think it's interesting to watch a small band of people try to figure this out. Absolutely. And I, I don't want to detract from that. I think that's a valid opinion, actually. And I think, like, and, and we'll keep on parroting it. It's just because... Uh, Tom and I and, and yeah. Kyle, we've watched so much of this and guy's thing, work. And I agree. We, we, I we're a little more like... Yeah, we were a little bit more like, yeah. we're, we're black-pilled on a little bit of the way he approaches things. <laughs> yeah. um, well, one, one thing about this that a friend of mine uh, said, I don't know if I agree, because it kind of, I, I kind of said my opinion about all this, but he said, well, like, uh, it's my friend Andrew, uh, Andrew MV, who some of, some of you guys know, but um, he said uh, the way he looked at it wasn't that um, okay, Japan's getting a redo on the war to you know rede- redeem themselves for losing. He said uh, his take was that Japan in World War II were they were fighting the wrong war, and here they are fighting more or less the right battle. And I don't like I said I don't I don't know how much I agree with that, but I I really like it. I really like that I, I think perspective. My concern, I was just thinking my concern would be if like we, they did something what Lux just suggested where they have like American soldiers who go AWOL and help. My concern would be that to me it would feel like you know bird we used to always talk about how we laugh whenever we'd watch like an Avengers movie and they're like and now we have to go to the Chinese doctor who will help us. And it's like, oh yeah yeah. Oh, yeah <laughs> sell those tickets in China, right? And that would if, if suddenly there was like right. by the way here's General John Smith, the American who's going to help us. It'd be like, oh, okay, that's because yeah. they know Godzilla is, is going to play in American markets too. Like, that would be my worry. You'd be opening I, I a can of worms. It's yeah. that whole thing of Yamazaki. This is, it's just one of, his, one of his, like, almost faults is he tries to have it both ways. And I think... Yeah, I think that's just he, his it, deal. Like, 
historical accuracy, like if you're going to kick historical accuracy to the to the to the shore, then just don't even mention the Americans. Like, just have it just be a solely Japanese, and don't even mention that they won't help us because of the the Soviets. Like, just take that almost out of the. But I do. It's tough because again, like Trev said, you know, what's more compelling is is them being left on their own. But I, if there's something again, it's just by trying to have it both ways, by trying to appease everyone and and not piss off anyone, he fumbles with it. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I mean, I don't know. Realistically, do you think there's the tensions? between America and the Soviets would keep them from being involved in something like like this? It's a little historically early. Um, We're only talking about right before Korea at this point. So it, it, it feels like it's, it's might be a tad uh, early historically if we're going to try and focus it on a realistic explanation. So is it realistic? Yes. Is it not real? Is it realistic? No, it's another one of those things. It's very muddled. It is weird because, like, I think Tom just made a good point about it. Like, it's complicated this movie because you—he's you ever occasionally is trying to insert like real history, and obviously you feel like you have to because this is a movie that's specifically setting itself in the days after World War II, and that's a big thematic narrative point of it. But then the difference between this and something like Napoleon, we're talking about really guys, that's just supposed to be like a biopic, right, about a real character. But here is a story where you're saying like. Well, isn't it weird that they don't show any, like, American occupation? And my response to that could be, well, yeah, but you know what else never happened? A a giant dinosaur never came to Japan and started attacking Tokyo either. So this is clearly already not our reality. (laughs) So it gets really tricky about what elements of real history do you decide to incorporate in? And do you have an obligation to put more in? That's a tough – that's what we're obviously all wrestling with here. And I I don't know know if there's any, like, good answer to that. I will say, I mean, uh, man, I feel like no one, I don't know, me and Tom and Matt, I think, are the only ones watching Monarch, but it is interesting that this movie came out literally a week after an episode that... (laughs) Yeah, that's not helping. Yeah, a week after an episode that flashes back to Castle Bravo, which is a real-life H-bomb test that... Uh, caused the Lucky Dragon incident, which helped inspire the first Godzilla, where so many people died from that that it's considered an atrocity and more dangerous radioactive fallout than both uh, atomic bombs. Um, and it's it's not something to be treated lightly, but uh, so in the MonsterVerse in 2014, they say, oh, that test, we were actually just trying to kill this monster so they they drop a nuke on godzilla on purpose and it doesn't kill him okay that's already like a mildly offensive rewrite of <laughs> re, uh whitewashing of this atrocity we caused king of the monsters we all know michael doherty went insane and then this we actually get the flashback of them dropping a nuke on godzilla deliberately and he's already you know this powerful dinosaur so he's like fine and then a week later, we had this, and it was just kind of a refreshing, like, yes, let's get back to this is an atomic nightmare scenario, and uh, no, nukes are not things that uh, we set off just to power up um, a, a, a lizard <laughs> that, you know, it's not going to hurt. And, um, and and yeah, with, with the MonsterVerse in actually saying it was this literal event that was responsible for all this death. And not only that is the thing the first Godzilla movie was warning against to finally have a Japanese movie come out, come along and be like, yeah, like 
this is how it should be after all this American whitewashing of the awfulness of, of these things was They're like refreshing. on the next I just island had to... over where they can see Godzilla, like, touch the bomb. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we're, we'll, we'll get in, when, when, when the season ends and we get into our Monarch podcast, we will we'll dig into this Do further. But uh, I just, <laughs> yes. But I just wanted to compliment the fact that you know, every oh, you know, we get the cartoony Godzilla in a few months. We got the realistic one here. Well, here we get the anti-nuke Godzilla, <laughs> and that is good for me too. Um, I don't know, I man. I mean, we we covered every inch of ground on this thing. I any is there anything else anyone wants to throw in before we give our ratings? I'll, uh, I'll just say a couple of words because I did read the novelization. Um, some, okay. Uh, yeah. Through a no. uh, fan. Well, I mean, really, it was a machine translation up, but they provided the entire text of the Japanese novelization as well, which is uh, bold from a C and D perspective. Let's let's put it that way. Um, so uh, what was that it, like? I mean, it was very very close to the movie. Um, there were a few changes here or there, you know, like. Um, the, the the idea of Godzilla is introduced a little bit earlier in the uh, in the novelization that you know they 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 have the the fish come up and they kind of like make a make a comment of like oh you know maybe it's maybe it's this Godzilla thing from our legends ha 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 as opposed to- so do you actually get the Islanders saying that because in the movie they talk about the Islanders but it we was, never it see it was that. just the it was just the um, mechanics on the island so we don't really see the Islanders in that. Um, yeah, I mean, again, it's it's very close, generally speaking. Um, one thing I'd notice is that throughout the throughout the text, they use kanji for Godzilla's name until he gets mutated, at which point it changes hmm. over to katakana. So, what what could be the reason for that? Uh, just some somehow it's 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 separating that these are different things. I mean, that's. That's what they're doing from a merchandising standpoint. You know, if you look at the usage of the kanji, it's always specifically tied to the Odo Island because it's this this ancient myth that they wouldn't have had katakana to to render Godzilla's name back then. So that's why, you know, like in Shin Godzilla, when you see his name written out in kanji, it's because it's part of the old Odo Island myth or uh, or whatever. But um, you know, the kanji compound for Godzilla was not widely used you know i think it might be in the original movie but it's um shin godzilla kind of like put it back in the public consciousness and then you know here i think it's probably the widest i've seen it used because it's used consistently in the book until he mutates uh and then the characters continue like when uh shikishima's telling his compatriots about it he's using the kanji until Godzilla surfaces, and then they switch over to using the, the the katakana for the name, which I mean, in audio it would sound exactly the same. It's just kind of an interesting distinction that like it's it's almost like hmm. this is this is now a different creature here, even though his name sounds the same. Uh, huh? Any other differences of note between the novel and the? Uh, I didn't notice a whole lot. Um, as, as I was kind of going through, there were little, little details here and there. Like, you know, it said like, you know, when he lands on the Island that they didn't have a, an exit runway. So he was, he was definitely going to have to stick there until somebody could come and pick him up. So like stuff like that, like gives that like little extra, like bit of context for 
like why he's very clearly like a deserter when he lands and everybody's kind of pissed off at him. Um, mm. But uh, what I was, you know, kind of skimming through looking for was I had heard people say like, Oh, the, the, the thing on Noriko's neck is like set up better in the novel and they explain it better. And like, no, it the 100% not the case. <laughs> <laughs> um, what a shocker that there's yeah, I, I, uh, fake rumors about uh, the ending of a Godzilla movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, well, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, let's give our uh, our ratings. Um, uh, I'll uh, I'll start with Matt. Matt, how many uh, bonsais for the greater good of Japan do you give this out of five? Uh, I'm at a four out of five. I really liked it. I I could see that, you know, going up or down a half star either way, just depending on future viewings. But I've seen it twice. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, I I would, I mean, okay. I'll pivot next. I'm at a four. Uh, I saw it twice already too. I'm still at a four. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I, I really like, I really enjoyed it. I mean, there, there, there's some things in the script, some narrative shortcuts it takes, um, and the whole Noriko thing that you know stuff like that dings it a little bit. But um, uh, I, I mean, I could see this, you know, over the over the years being, you know, one that you know I might bump up to a four and a half or, or bump up in wherever it might land in my, you know, how I rank the movies. Um, it's the Godzilla movie that I kind of felt like I was going to be getting when that Comic-Con mood piece came out. Just a more somber kind of back-to-basics take. Um, I know Gareth Edwards and Yamazaki just did an interview uh, like they because he, he had the creator coming out, he had Godzilla coming out, and they kind of interviewed each other and, and Edwards said like, yeah, this is like, I'm jealous that you got to make this. This is kind of a little more what I would like to do here. Um, and, and I, I can, I can see why he might say that. I, I, I don't think it was all just PR to advertise each other's movies. I, I think there could be some genuine jealousy that, you know, Yamazaki got to do something like this. Whereas, you know, he ended up making more of a heroic Godzilla thing. And that's really not the, the mood piece that he'd put together. What, what, what was selling us. Um, so I'm at a four, um, uh lux what about you yeah i would say that this is the first movie in over 20 years that i genuinely loved watching um so yeah i i ended up giving this one a 4.5 out of 5 okay kevin what about you so i mean this is not my preferred mode of godzilla um but i also recognize that i'm somewhat in the minority of fandom for that that you know the stuff that i uh gravitate to is like the the alien invasions and then the crazy stuff. Um, but I, I think that this is a really well done, you know, character drama. And it's just one of those things that I think is a good intro point for the Godzilla franchise. And it's, it's a general audience pleaser. I mean, this is one of the things that I, I like to kind of contemplate is like, okay, well, if I'm going to watch a, a kaiju movie, like with my in-laws, what's a good thing to, to watch? Yeah, I, I was I, I was actually like thinking about like taking my mom to see it like uh, and like I've seen online people saying like yeah I never saw a Godzilla movie before I didn't know they were they could be like that mm-hmm. good so I think you're onto something there so like from that perspective I'm I'm totally on board with it and you know I've I've seen a lot of Yamazaki stuff and I respect a lot of what he he has to do um, 
So, I mean, it's, it's going to sound harsh from the perspective of like, I'm not like, it's not my favorite ever, but like most Godzilla movies, I quite enjoy it. And I'm shocked that the consensus really seems to be that, you know, people generally like it across the board. Um, yeah. This is like the least of this, this podcast will show. This is like the least divisive Godzilla movie. Not Final Wars, because yeah. that was divisive. They're like, this is probably the least divisive since like Tokyo SOS, maybe. That was like, what, 2002? So yeah, I um, I would go back farther than that, Ethan. I think it's been a it's been a long time since, if if yeah. ever, you know, in my lifetime. Because I'll, <laughs> I'll go back and like read reviews yeah. of Godzilla versus Bialante, and you'll have the people this hamming it. Oh, those were wild, yeah. So for sure. I mean, from that perspective, to see this like kind of overwhelming, uh, positive uh, response has been kind of amazing. So with that in mind, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll go with a. I'll go with a four out of five Godzilla throw stuff. All right. Um, Tom, what about you? Yeah, I had some sizable reservations about it. You know, the the thematic muddling, the, the characters on your left moment, and, you know, the score is just kind of there. Uh, but it gets balanced out with some great character work, some amazing directed sequences and something that I didn't know was possible in a Godzilla movie anymore. And that was making me like shocked by things that Godzilla was doing in, in a genuine shock. Um, I think it's thrilling. I think it's very heartfelt. I've been missing genuine warmth and characters in Godzilla since 2004. Uh, probably before that, because the Final Wars characters aren't like the warmest <laughs> characters. The last Godzilla movie that really excelled at characters was probably um, against Mechagodzilla. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. I've been missing that in my Godzilla for a long time, and uh, I'm w- I'm with Matt in thinking this could go up, it could go down maybe, but as of right now, my first viewing... Um, and I'll also mention, you know, I took an eight year old to see this and he really liked it. So there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's appeal there. I think your I think your standard eight year olds are probably going to have to have some built in Godzilla fondness because there's, there's maybe not a ton to carry an eight year old through other than the action sequences. Um, but I'm at a four out of five, very strong. I loved it. All right, I'm ending with our wild card, Trev. You uh, take us well, take us out. Card, right? We already talked. I mean, I guess uh, yeah. Not anymore. Yeah, not or anymore. Yeah. Card because I'm also like the guy who likes Godzilla versus Megaguirus. But um, well, that's all. You're always going to be a wild yeah, card. I like for that, that movie yeah. too. All right. See, I'm not alone. Double um, feature this with <laughs> that with like your friends. I'll do it in a second. I'll do that in a second. Uh, no, like I'm I'm gonna pair a lot of what everyone said. I mean, I, I I just love this. This this also is not my preferred version of Godzilla. I prefer Godzilla as hero, but I know a good movie when I see one. And in the Godzilla as villain mold, this is about as good as it gets. I think. And it was it was it's very refreshing for me to see the positive reaction to this after like you know spending a decade having to deal with all these wackadoos talk themselves into saying Shin is a masterpiece. Um, I think I feel like this is the movie I feel like all those people see in their heads somehow when they watch it. Um, this this was just great. Like I wish 
I wish there wasn't some elements that are a little shakier in the, in the climax because I would go even higher, but I'm definitely at a four. I, I just think this is, this is honestly, right. like I said, this is one of my favorite movies of the year. Not just, I'm not, it's not one, just one of my favorite Godzilla movies, which it is. It's one of my favorite movies I've seen this year. I just thought it's standard formula done really, really well. And that's, oh, that can still be exciting. And this movie proves that. Yeah. All right. This is as, I'm shocked that there's six of us that more or less came out saying the same thing. This is not normal, but I like it. I like it. And, and you know, a lot of good conversation, a lot of good uh, uh, interpretations, a lot of good stuff going on tonight, guys. So, um, everyone, uh, thank you for listening. And, of course, all of you, thank you for, uh, for hanging out with us uh, this long. This movie has a lot to talk about. And so that's why this is uh, such a long episode. But a lot of good stuff going on. So... Thank you again, and uh, we are the Kaiju Transmissions Podcast, signing out. Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions Podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.